Promotional consideration paid for by the following. StevieRichardsFitness.com. Join the SRF resistance today. Russo'sBrand.com. Get the real shoot from the most controversial personality in wrestling, Vince Russo. Zordo's Greek Olive Oil. Give the gift of the best authentic Greek olive oil this Christmas, Zordo's Greek Olive Oil. Imported directly from the Zordo's family gardens in Greece, this gourmet olive oil will be the best one-of-a-kind gift for any chef, foodie, friend, or family member in your life. This gift can be enjoyed all year round. Visit www.zordosoliveoil.com. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Monday, December 16th, 2019, and you are tuned into the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented and simulcast is your Monday locker room from Hami Media. In association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com and now unleashed at NDPW.com. This week's Monday Locker Room presented by Zordos Olive Oil. It's Michael Nakazawa's favorite olive oil. And Manscaped.com. Be sure that you stick around for the biggest balls of the week. Coming up a little bit later. Also on this week's show, we're talking Final Battle, Into the Fire, TLC, and what's coming up for this Wednesday night's war. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you, this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hitting the marks. Com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the voice, and now the ring announcer. He's the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that order the beat of the beat. Rick Vickery, back again. Oh, it's the, the Monday Locker Room. The Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. We had a mission all together. There was so much going on this weekend from around the world of professional wrestling. We're going to dive in, you know, to the big news, the major happenings. Uh, but me personally, such an incredible weekend. Friday, I got to spend it with my friends over Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling, where, yes, no great friend of the platform, one half of the uh, Towers of Terror, Congo Kong capturing the Battle on the Border Heavyweight Championship. He win that Friday night. Fortunately, Saturday night, I was not there to see his first title defense, but uh, lost lost the match, but kept the title. Disqualification victory given to Brian Pillman Jr. Uh, those two, you know, world-renowned superstars, uh, both on that big stage from the MLW Impact Wrestling. Uh, they absolutely went at it. Understand, they just uh, they just wowed that audience. Uh, but as I said, I wasn't able to be there. I was in the, the middle of the great state of OHIO and in our capital city of Columbus. Chicago alluded to. I uh, made my debut in a, the ring announcer position for Revolution Pro Wrestling. Have to say, uh, you know, the first time out, uh, I was very, uh, I was very proud of myself and, and what I was able to do, and received a lot of tremendous feedback. But hey, I'm looking to keep on rolling and growing there. But I think, you know, with everything going on, you know, with 
everything that I was able to experience this weekend, everything from the NWA to Ring of Honor to WWE TLC. Uh, I think the biggest news is we need to open up here with a little congratulations and, and welcome to new. I know that they're going to be fans of ours and she tunes in regularly. And that is Sarah Jane Baxter. Uh, apparently this morning she uh, has given birth to two beautiful twin baby boys. Every early indication seems like they're, they're doing great and they're just kind of relaxing and resting in the hospital. Well, they were resting in the hospital and now they're wearing headphones. They're listening to the Monday Locker Room, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Uh, Huckleberry, before we get going on the ring of departure, because uh, we're going to start things off with final battle, I have to ask you the most important question of the weekend. What kicks did you wear? You, you were telling me the other night that you were going to wear special kicks for every time you do a ring announcer gig. For those who don't know, I'm absolutely addicted to the Gary Payton 20s that Nike put out. I think I have them in about six different colors at this point. Huckleberry, what kicks did you wear the other night for your big debut? Oh, man, you know what? I hate, I hate to disappoint here. Uh, when I was shopping, I was going to go. I wanted like a classic throwback, uh, Adidas, you know, the all white something to go with the suit there. Uh, unfortunately, was running a little behind. It was a hectic weekend, as you know, which delayed our, our record also. Uh, so I had to just go with, you know, with a classic black dress. Well, so I, I got I came out of the gate with the classic style. Uh, so I'll have to evolve that game, you know, next time I pick up a gig. I think that's kind of like me when I go to a job interview. I always wear a suit and tie. And then, you know, for the first day at work, I, I show up in a T-shirt and jeans and my tattoos blaring and my gauges put in. Yeah, they, they, they love me up at the TV station. No wonder I work third shift. Huckleberry, we got to start things off with the ring of departure. Final battle come at us this last Friday night. Um this show was a real turning point for Ring of Honor. We were looking at it that way. Unfortunately, this is not the show that I was hoping for. I was a little let down in what would transpire throughout this show. Uh, what did you think of the show and really kind of this entire weekend for Ring of Honor? We saw a lot of ROH talents that have either left the company, debuted at new companies, maybe making a guest appearance at another company. What do you make of this weekend for Ring of Honor? Especially we've had final battle and now final battle fallout. It seems like we're poised for 2020. What do you think of the status of Ring of Honor? Well, you know, it's going into final battle here. It, it didn't. It didn't have that same vibe as years past. Especially you know over the last couple of weeks here, uh, where I'm at in, in Cincinnati, I have availability to to check out Stadium Sports TV and and every you know every day they're running the two hour blocks of Ring of Honor and that first hour was the road to last year's final battle. So I'd watch that, and then the second hour would be this year's road to final battle. And, I mean, to see the differences in the preparation from the promotion, I mean, it, it blows you away. And you and I have been saying here for weeks, the intrigue going into this year's final battle, where it wasn't about all these big blow-offs and, you know, superstars that had been with the promotion. This was, you know, we had dubbed it the Ring of Reset. And a reset of honor, reset of honor. Now we've got, you know, ring of departure Yeah, uh, is, is what's really stealing the headlines here. And I think that's even more. It's not just people that are leaving. It's because it, those aren't really big surprises. We kind of had felt that those were coming. It was Thanks to Joey Mercury. Fire. Thanks to Joey yeah. Mercury. All, all the names that have left ring of honor at this point, I believe were on that list that he had leaked out. Yeah, and you and you got to go back and kind of wonder what kind of tie-ins were there. You got to believe he actually reached out to them, and you know they said, you know what, we're unhappy here. It's and there's so many individuals that are working on these year-to-year -year deals, 
They didn't intend to resign here. They want to go on to greener pastures, you know, those next big things. I think what's what's more intriguing is looking at the talents that now are seeming to pull, you know, double and triple duty with other promotions. And what does that mean going forward with the financials inside of Ring of Honor? Are they going to become, you know, where it seemed, you know, last year, two years ago, they seemed full gear on on locking down some individuals, especially in as you know, you, you get this crowded second tier, you know, on this dance floor here for all these promotions, bidding for all this talent. They really were trying to lock down some people. They got them into those one, two year deals, and now it seems that they're they're you know reversing that whole strategy. Mm-hmm. They're go they're reverting back to okay, we'll bring you in for our TV dates. You know, give us give us that time. And then we're going to allow you to go elsewhere, you know, globally to work, go work television or whatever those events might be. Yep, we'll get into all the names here. Um, basically, what we're going to do, we're going to try to run through the weekend basically chronologically. So we'll start with Final Battle, then we'll talk into the fire, um, some of the debuts and whatnot that we had there, and then we'll go to Final Battle Fallout, and then we'll wrap things up with some TLC in case th- we have somebody listening who's just like, I don't give a shit about Ring of Honor, and we understand your pain. Um I want to start things off with the pre-show because, Rick, this pre-show might be the best wrestling that I saw all week. This was a one-hour free pre-show that they gave away. They start things off with Dalton Castle and Joe Hendry defeating the Young Woods, two guys, one tag, whatever you want to call them. The match goes nine minutes and 16 seconds. I'm sorry, this was two guys, one tag actually won the match over Dalton Castle and Joe Hendry. Um, And then we would see the bouncers face off with Young and Woods with the bouncers putting over Woods and how great he was. And, oh yeah, Silas Young, you're okay too. Uh, It was a, a very, very fun dynamic, a great way to start off Final Battle. I was so happy for our boy McLovin, Josh Woods, seeing him even on this card Rick, did you even have a chance to check out the pre-show for Final Battle? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we always talk about when, we, when we're looking at kickoff shows, pre-shows, whatever you might want to go with here, is are they going to do any business? Are they moving, moving along like a narrative? Are they selling, actually, the show itself? I think that they absolutely hit a home run here, you know, in that regard. This match in itself, I mean, we have had for a while now, you've had this back and forth, this formation here of – of Woods and Young, you know, they, they've been kind of playing back and forth, you know, who's going to kind of take to the other one's tendencies, you know, Woods kind of learning from Young, still trying to go his own path, a great dynamic between those two. Uh, then also, you know, everything that you had from when Henry debuted in Ring of Honor to we thought he was going to immediately butt heads with Castle. And then they end up forming a tag team. I think overall, just inside the, inside the narrative of the, the two teams, we saw some advancement. Tremendous match. And I think overall, and this wasn't the only time that we'd see this on this pre-show, is that as we're talking about Ring of Honor resetting, it seems that they are going to be heavily focused on their tag division again. And it's a direction, I think, you know, as we really get through this thing, that is going to surprise a lot of people because we're going to get the emergence of some new tag teams, some new pairings, if you will. They're going to have an opportunity to shine and, and it pretty much rebuild that division. Two guys, one tag, now 6-0 and in tag team action. You know, Rick, when I first saw that name, two guys, one tag, I just assumed that that was Dalton Castle and Joe Hendry. Like, that just seems like it should be their name because I've been calling the team of Josh Woods and Silas Young, the Young Woods, for, for quite a while now. Um, I want to talk about Dalton Castle. 
Uh, Dalton Castle is one of these names that we have heard come up a couple of times inside of an NXT context. And then Dalton Castle got hurt. He was on the shelf for what seemed like forever after literally carrying Ring of Honor on his back for so long that they broke it. Uh, And Dalton Castle has not quite been the same Dalton Castle since returning from that back injury. Rick, are we just kind of wasting Dalton Castle? Like, is he in that Marty Skrull role at this point where we're just going to kind of wear him out and have him put over other talent until he leaves? Like, it just seems like that's the only logical reason that I have for him and Joe Hendry losing this match to Silas Young and Josh Woods. Well, I would go to to that point. I still think that they, as you're kind of talking about him putting someone over or, you know, giving that shine to someone new coming into the company, I still think that is their direction that we're going to see those two kind of blow up at one time. We're going to get into a program there. And it's not so much that that that's the focal point as well. As you're talking about on the other side, two guys won tag. It was 6-0, 7-0. I saw both of those numbers out there. Anyway, you know, they've they've been putting the string and some wins together here. And I think that what we're missing on this is that they're going to be inserted into that picture. And it, and it already tells a story in itself when we get to the, to the tag team championship bout. Yeah. I kind of thought that they were leading to two guys, one tag facing off with the bouncers, but we would see two guys, one tag actually square off with the Briscoes at final battle fallout to determine who would be the number one contenders to the new ring of honor tag team champions who we'll talk about here in just a little bit. That kind of surprised me. I kind of felt like we skipped a little bit of a step there, but you know, I'm kind of over the Silas young versus the bouncers thing at this point too. So I'm not real torn up about it. I think that was more something on the pre-show, you know, something for the bouncers to do. They seem to still be, you know, hot on the radar there for ring of honor. A uh, team they can insert if they need it. The crowd loves them. They got a great gimmick. Well, any time that you're going into, you know, with that Ring of Honor crowd, you know, they're a party crowd. You know, they want to have some fun. So the bouncers are the team that you you kind of roll out there to get, you know, kind of get everybody hyped up. But I will say, unfortunately, uh, it kind of missed the mark this time with the bouncers. Yeah. It didn't seem like the crowd was real receptive to it. You know, and so a little bit later when you did have the banter back and forth between, you know, two guys, one tag. Uh, but that's something they can always revisit because that has such a rich history. Yeah. Speaking of rich history, so did the second match. Kenny King defeats Rhett Titus. Uh, Kenny King winning this feud, it would seem, as well he should because they have a lot more invested in Kenny King than they do at Rhett Titus at this point. Uh, really, the only thing that I remember from this match, Rick, because let's face it, it was Friday and I have watched a lot of wrestling since then was Kenny King coming out to the All Night Express music, doing the All Night Express handshake with his valet, like just really doing everything that he possibly can to get under Rhett Titus's skin. The only thing to me was this match just didn't seem like it connected with the fans. It felt like they kind of lost him here. And while there's this hatred for Kenny King, and thank God we're making Kenny King into a full bore heel at this point, there's just not that affection for Rhett Titus. Like Rhett Titus really kind of seems like the Marty Jannetty of that tag team, at least in Ring of Honor's eyes. Well, and absolutely. I mean, to the point where, into the build for this thing, I believe it was on last week's show, that, that Kenny King came right out inside the ring and said, you know what, when it comes down to you know what we had, I am the Shawn Michaels. You are the Marty Jannetty. I mean, he laid it And right then he got his there. ass whipped. Like, that's like the one thing you don't say to your former tag team partner. Well, and then he then he goes one step further. You know, he's he's calling out him. He's calling him out as a man, as a husband, as a father. I mean, this this thing was very personal, and that's why you know I was kind of surprised to see this thing on this pre-show. But you know, exactly. then you take into account 
that they were really focusing on this pre-show. I mean, they, they wanted to sell this thing to drive it home. And that's another kudos to Ring of Honor to use that free platform to get something. And this is a match, even if you weren't following it, you can, the, you know, the commentary can easily tell that story, the personal history, uh, how heated this thing has become. And I think, too, this was just the beginning of this. And this yeah. is going to have to push, push, push Titus, you know, until he's until he uh, damn near snaps here. And you're right there. There is that there's been some kind of disconnect there. And I think it's about how they use him. Because he has become Mr. Pre-Show to them. You know, he's there. He goes out there, cuts those promos. He's doing his flex and all that. And that kind of warms you up. And, and you see just a glimpse of him as they're transitioning from the live cut into the Honor Club specials. Yeah. So he hasn't been featured all that much. And they haven't really told that backstory. Now, they are starting it. And it is there. I believe they can get there. And I think this can continue to be a hot program through the first quarter of 2020. Could be interesting. And maybe it'll finally get Kenny King over. You know, because... Kenny King, babyface or heel, he's got all the tools. Well, something in this, I mean, could we see a weird twist here? Because everything would tell you in classic storytelling, we see it's time and time again in professional wrestling. I mean, you have someone that comes out and is attacking, you know, just just not your, you know, you as a professional. Not just you as a man, but as a husband and a father. And I mean, they're going directly to your family taking every cheap shot they can, you know, verbally at you. And then the physical altercations that usually tells you that the victim is going to get that shine, that they're going to win in the end. I mean, could this be one of those situations where you do want Kenny King to win this thing? So ultimately it elevates him a little bit more. If you see that connect, obviously, I mean, he, he is more the athletic. He fits more into that ring of honor style, what they're trying to sell. I mean, is this like an ultimate way to truly establish this guy as that rotten SOB that they've been trying to get over for so long? Well, I think we would see them shift gears a little bit with Kenny King last night at uh, the Ring of or uh, Final Battle Fallout. Um, Kenny King now a member of a faction, and he seems like he's going to be the third most important member of that faction. Maybe they use Rhett Titus to start getting the faction itself over as in Gabernable, you know, I could see Roosh and Dragon Lee and Kenny King just absolutely laying the boots to Rhett Titus. And maybe they just kick his ass for like three months until Rhett Titus finally gets that big win and people can actually invest in him because going 50 50 with Kenny King, that ain't going to get either one of these guys over. Uh, let's talk about Jeff Cobb. Jeff Cobb defeats Dan Moff in eight minutes and 51 seconds. The amount of strength that Jeff Cobb showed off in this match was absolutely ridiculous. He deadlifted Dan Mav not once, but twice to give him the tour of the islands. It was absolutely insane. Now, I knew that these two guys were going to be a tag team at Final Battle Fallout, so I was very interested in how this match was going to kind of shake out. Rick, if Jeff Cobb stays inside of Ring of Honor, I kind of want to see him and Dan Moff just be like this monster tag team. Well, this is just, this was a showdown of the behemoths and we were getting, you know, a look into the potential future with these two teaming up. I think the, you know, the big story, absolutely. As you said there, Jarko, the, the power that was on display on both sides of this, I mean, these guys are just pit bulls. I mean, they are true monsters. The strength is incredible. Uh, but afterwards, you know, the, the way that these two showed respect. Hell yeah, you know, motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, a handshake, but you're going to feel it, too, because I'm going to hit you. I'm like, give it back to me. Let's do it again. Now we got to team up to, you know, the next night 
or at fallout coming up here just in a night or two and moving forward. And again, as I, you know, as I talked about in the opener, we did a lot of business for the tag division. And I think this was a perfect follow-up to get people really excited about a potential new team that could be bidding for an opportunity at those championships. I'm going to even make a pitch right here and right now at global wars, which I believe goes down in February. We need Tomohiro Ishii to come over from New Japan for that tour. And I want to see those three win the World Six-Man Championships. Like, give me Dan Moff, Jeff Cobb, and Tomohiro Ishii as, like, the most badass six-man tag team you've ever seen in your freaking life. I want to see that. You want to see that. I'm I'm sure Jeff Cobb and Dan Moff are probably absolutely down for that, too. Yeah, I... That is, I mean, you're talking about a perfect combination Fuck right yeah. there. Uh, it, I don't know who could be holding the six minutes at that point, but I would, if I was them, I would, uh, I would seriously consider just handing over, forfeiting the championships, uh, and just getting out of there with my health intact. So that was the pre-show. That was the best wrestling I saw all week. Was that pre-show? That was absolutely fantastic. Final battle itself kicks off with Flamita and Bandito, known as Mexi Blood, defeating Villain Enterprises, the team of Flip Gordon and Marty Skrull. Marty eating the pin here. There's no angle. Bandito just straight up pins him clean. Rick, what was your first impression of Mexi Blood? Because when I know your pro wrestling taste, these guys are about as far out of it as you can possibly get. Uh, absolutely. But, you know, it, inside of Ring of Honor, I, I realize this. You know, we follow the product quite a bit. They have been moving towards these guys. This is a direction, a style that they're trying to blend in. Uh, and, it, it's, and it's really kind of maybe taking over a little bit. Yeah, I noticed it really at Fallout, too, when we're getting, you know, the re-debut of Hallow Wicked and um, uh, oh, who was the the other luchador? Ray Horace made his debut at Final Battle Fallout. And, of course, we have Roosh, and now we have Dragon Lee. And it, it, Lucha is becoming a huge part of Ring of Honor right now. And, it, you know, this, and this talks about their partnership. We're talking about you know, departures and people coming in and now people working these other promotions as well. I mean, this is all coming into a brotherhood mm-hmm. of who they can bring in. And I think this is also, you know, when Ring of Honor was known for that pure style, I wonder if they're wondering if there's such a, a great hold on that in the marketplace or they have to evolve, they have to offer this different variety. I mean, there's still a lot telling about the direction of Ring of Honor. And we thought we would have a really sound foundation is we would sit down on monday morning to talk about that unfortunately we don't it's still a guessing game even after these you know final battle and then the fallout show Uh, i will say you know for you know the high flying the the athletics the the circus aspect of it uh, i did pop for the uh the 619 into the springboard double german suplex yeah the 21 plex or the i think they called it the 619 plex the 619 flex. Okay. I, I was trying to like, okay, what there's so much going on here. I, I got the 619, uh, some sort of springboard back into the double German. So it, that, I mean, that popped me there. What really, you know, in real time, seeing those guys go over, not absolutely surprising, but to not even see any kind of, you know, angle gimmick no, top in here was really okay. Uh, is this it for Martin? Yeah, like you know what? Uh, what a sad farewell send off of this is it. I mean, but trying to get truly professional. Hey, thank you for your time. I'm moving on, uh, but had so much hope. And but then even going back, you know, sitting there in real time as you and I were talking about. Okay, they took the loss. Now I'm supposed to forget about Marty. 
Maybe he'll reemerge later. Maybe they got that deal done. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, that would not be the case. Yeah, unfortunately not. Uh, then they give you a match completely different change of pace. Vincent defeats Matt Taven in 13 minutes and 33 seconds. Um, Rick, I was really surprised that this was the second match on the show. Of all the matches on this show, this is the match I was the most looking forward to because this is a true blood feud. This is a real grudge match with your most recent former Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion and a member of his faction turning on him, as Vincent would say in the promo at uh, Final Battle Fallout, the Gates to the kingdom have closed and he holds the keys. I thought that was such a great freaking line. Uh, Rick, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. I, I absolutely hated the finish of this match. I mean, Matt Taven hits Vinnie Marcellia with two climaxes right after they get done putting over that one of them ended Jeff Cobb's winning streak. Um, Taven then gets out of the ring, goes and grabs an axe. Of course, Vinny cut Taven's head open with the axe, and that's what's kind of started this whole blood feud. But still, he grabs an axe, brings it into the ring. It takes for freaking ever. He finally gets back in the ring. Vinny kicks him in the stomach, hits him with a slice bread. One, two, three. Rick, like, like, what the fuck? You know, it's go back to what you were talking about there, Jargon. I mean, going into the show here, Hey, this was the one that, that truly had momentum behind it. It had meaning. I mean, people could get invested. This wasn't just a couple of weeks, couple of months of build. I mean, we're talking about damn near a career for, you know, between these two brothers that have traveled the road together. You know, when TK came on with us, I man, he was you know, talking about when he broke his leg and what that meant to have his two brothers there with him to make that flight back across the country. And, you know, he shared some other stories off there with those, you know, crazy things that those guys have gotten into. And you guys are truly brothers. And then to see this thing, you know, really explode like it had on screen in this program. I mean, this, this is what it was all about. I mean, this is final battle. Everything on the line. You've been betrayed, the ultimate betrayal, ultimate Judas act, if you will. And, and David just comes up short here. Uh, and it, you are right. It, it, later in this match, it seemed... They just lost their their rhythm at some point, and then they just couldn't get it back. Yeah, it, it was a good match for like thirteen minutes, and then it went thirteen minutes and thirty three seconds. Like the final thirty three seconds was just horseshit. I don't know if it was just running long or what, but that that final thirty seconds was just horseshit. Problem is, it's that stupid ass axe. Nothing, nothing good has come from that thing. It's Never. just absolutely not needed in pro wrestling. Never. So then we see the formation of at least at what at this time would seem to be a tag team. Now we know that it's going to be a full on cult. Vinny is leading his own faction. Now we have Bateman comes out. He joins up with Vincent. I think that's just absolutely wonderful. I love the two of those guys together. I mean, ring of horror, you know, it, it just, it absolutely works. He comes out tombstones, Matt Taven holds up his hand and he's got the Vinny V on his hand. And then we have no Matt Taven at Final Battle Fallout. He doesn't show up. He's not even there for his meet and greet. Instead, Vinny takes his place at the meet and greet. 
Bateman would win his match at Final Battle Fallout. Vinny comes out, cuts himself a promo, kind of tells everybody what's going on. And it basically comes up to, you know, Matt Taven would have never been the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion if it wasn't for me doing all the damn dirty work, which he's not necessarily wrong. But Rick, our friend Seth Kennedy, put this up in the uh, Hameen Media Discussion Group. I know I absolutely had the same thoughts. Was this Taven re-signing with Ring of Honor thing all a work just to put Vinny over? Because I could see that. I could see Matt Taven saying, yeah, I'm going to stay at Ring of Honor and I'm staying until after final battle so I can get my buddy over before I depart. Well, absolutely. I, I could see that being the case. Uh, as I, I joined in the conversation over on Facebook and Hami Media Discussion Group, uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all, as we talked about there. I mean, these guys truly are great buds. They've traveled the road together. Say, hey, on my way out, I've had people do this for me. Ring of Honor's been good to me. You know, Taven saying, I want the same success and fortunes for my friend. I'll stick around for a month and a half until final battle. Well, you know, and Taven just came off uh, maybe not the highest, you know, it might, maybe not the most exciting world championship run, uh, but very effective. I mean, he was an absolute workhorse. And that's not creative. Creative didn't get yes. Taven anything to work with. Absolutely. I mean, it was pretty much, uh, we are going to have time and time again, random number one contenders matches, tournaments, whatever it might be. We're just going to throw everything and everyone possible at you. And you just take care of it. And Matt Taven went out there and wrestled his ass off time and time again. I think, you know, the, with so many naysayers when he took that title, questioning, you know, how effective would he be in that position? I think he absolutely silenced those naysayers. Worked his ass off. Creative-wise, though, there just wasn't a program, you know, to get invested in. And you look at 2019, really, outside of this program with Vincent, I mean, what was there that gets you emotionally charged up, that you really wanted to see from him? And unfortunately, it didn't involve the championship. Yep. So I could see him absolutely doing that. I could see, though, where he, maybe he has signed on. Was there, what details? Do we know the details? Was he just through the end of the year on this extension? Was he in the 2020? No idea. No because idea. He, All we know is that he resigned, supposedly, at what was that, the end of October? Absolutely. So that's what I'm wondering. You know, maybe did he is he is he in to 2020? And you could see because in this post-match angle, they wrote him off a little bit. They give him time away. So maybe, it's, as I mentioned there in the, in the discussion thread on Facebook, you know, maybe this was let him go away, let the crowd miss him a little bit, build him back up because they are starting to seriously rally behind him as that baby face during that turn. He's starting to win them over, showing that he, you know, he's so good at what he's doing. He can work both sides of this. Let him go away for a little while. Let Vinny build up this new faction that he's got. Let them you know, run, run shot over everything. And then at that point, you have the reemergence. And I think, you know, also into this whole thing, we have to wait for the return of TKO. Yeah, that's that's assuming that TK can make his way back. He's he's having some issues. Um, let's talk about Bateman. Um, Rick, I've been on Bateman for quite a while. I, I first saw him at Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, and I've been following him for at least a couple of years. I ran about this show as little as possible because it's it's the best kept secret in pro wrestling, and I don't want everybody to start watching it and ruin it like they have every other damn promotion for me except New Japan. But I have been very, very high on Bateman for a while. Uh, he's not a spring chicken. He's been in the game for a very, very long time. Ring of Honor might be his ceiling. 
What do you think of the pairing of Bateman with Vincent? I think it's, it's going to be a tremendous dynamic. And as you lay it out there, Jargo, you know, the, the biggest question is what is the ceiling? Yeah, and it's just his age. I mean, he's been in the game for probably 15 years at this point. Well, I mean, hell, I mean, it's no secret. People know it out there. We're going to talk about the match itself. I mean, the Ring of Honor world champion is 52 years old. Right. Now, how long did he take that hiatus? I mean, if there is going to be an opportunity here, it's going to be with Ring of Honor. I, and I think this is the great transition for him. Get inside of this group, have, you know, that, that safe dynamic there where you can all rely on one another. You continue to grow and build together. Uh, they added, they're going, you know, they eventually add here at Fallout. Is it uh, Chuckles the Clown? Yep. Okay, you know, I think he's going to bring so much to to this group in itself, trio, or somehow we want to break this thing down. I, I think, you know, especially here in these first six months of 2020, it's going to be very telling for all of these towns and what their ceiling and potential is. So let's talk about Mark Haskins. Mark Haskins with his wife, Vicky, defeat Bully Ray in 16 minutes and 29 seconds. And Rick, I got to tell you, this match got over with me. It got over huge. It was just Bully Ray beating the ever-loving shit out of Mark Haskins for about 15 minutes of the 16 minutes and 29 seconds. And then, well, to start things off, Bully comes out with the barbed wire board, which is hilarious. If you listened to Bustin' Open Radio, you know what he had to say about the Kenny Omega and John Moxley barbed wire fiasco that was. So that popped me. I was laughing so damn hard when he came out with that barbed wire board. And then he takes out both Mark Haskins and Vicky. Vicky gets helped off to the back. Bully Ray beats the shit out of her husband for about 15 minutes. And then she reappears and she grabs a cheese grater. And she gives me this great soundbite from Bully Ray. Yeah. Bully Ray's balls. Rick, I can't help. The biggest balls of the week award. It's going to Bully Ray. I want to hear all of you scream the hair off your nuts. My balls, your jack. My balls, my balls. It's jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. This revolutionary company, Manscaped, has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. The Lawnmower 2.0 comes inside their Perfect Package 2.0, which makes this the perfect gift this holiday season. It's literally everything you need to keep trimmed, cut-free, and smelling nice down there. And don't use the same trimmer that you use on your face that you're using on your balls. As Lacey Evans would say, that's just nasty. The Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant, and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your pits. Why aren't you putting it on your stinky balls? Speaking of sweaty and stinky balls, I'm thankful for the Crop Reviver. This product, along with the Crop Preserver, keeps your balls from sweating, smelling, and sticking. And these products, they smell good. Their manly scent is attractive and will help set the mood, if you know what I mean. The perfect package also comes with a pair of Manscaped boxer briefs that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day long. It's time to upgrade and get over those used pair of boxer briefs. It tis the season to Manscaped. So get yourself, your dad, your brother, your friends, your co-workers, the best gift of all, the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. 
Get 20% off and free shipping when you use our promo code Stevie20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Stevie20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Promo code Stevie20. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. That's right, manscaped.com. 20% off with our code Stevie20. Thanks to Manscaped.com for the biggest balls of the week award. Rick, I got to tell you this story because this is so goddamn funny. You got your two times. Two times is, is we, we, he's been mentioned on the show several times because Rick likes to go and he likes to hang out with his buddy two times. Here in Iowa, I've got a buddy named Two Count. All right. Two Count used to be a professional wrestling referee, and he is responsible for the single most ridiculous story that I can tell from all of my travels. And it took place in my freaking apartment, toured all over this freaking country. And this story comes to me from my freaking apartment. So it's Taco Tuesday. We're making tacos. This is what I was with my ex-wife at the time. And she didn't have any shredded cheese. All she had was block cheese. And she was pissed off because she didn't have a cheese grater. And two count, dead stone faced, looks at her and goes, I got a cheese grater. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? And he's like, yeah, I got one in my car. And I'm at this point, I am just so goddamn intrigued. And I'm like, you have a cheese grater in your car. And he's like, yep, I keep it right underneath my front seat. And by this point, I just got to know. Why do you have a cheese grater underneath your front seat? And he's like, you know, well, that way, in case, you know, somebody wants to stick their nose in my business and they start getting a little bit too close, I can just reach right underneath the front seat and I just lay that cheese grater right here on my forearm and bam! Cheese grater to the head. And I was like, you are so full of fucking shit, dude. And he gets up and he walks out to his car and he came back with a fucking cheese grater. We did not use that cheese grater to grate any cheese. I was not eating whatever the hell he had done with that cheese grater on my fucking tacos. But as soon as I saw Vicky Haskins with the goddamn cheese grater and Bully Ray screaming, my balls, I immediately thought of two count. His whole gimmick was he'd only count to two. He would never count to three. What a great gimmick for an independent pro wrestling referee, you know? He would never count to three. So one time they stuck him in, in like a, a count out like kind of situation. And when he did it, he went one, two, four, five. Just totally skipped three. Fucking hilarious shit. Great shit. How, how did matches ever end? Normally like a disqualification. I'll get behind it. I can dig that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that there. It was fun. It, it, it's very independent, you know, like. That would never fly anywhere else. But on the independent scene, it was absolutely hilarious. Rick, this match went 16 minutes and 29 seconds. This match could have been just as effective if it went for seven minutes. Well, I, I'm going to say this, and I mean this in the absolute best possible way. Believe me, absolute best possible way. I mean, this was bully being bully. And it never gets old. It never gets old. Yeah. The, the act keeps going. I mean, they just keep... I, You know, he's been running the same angle since joining ring of honor they just changed who's across the ring from him yeah it's all about the little guy getting beat up in a hardcore stream you know death matches same spots same interaction in the build but yet it never gets old with him yeah he, he's just he's bully ray you know it's great 
Alex Shelley rolls up Colt Cabana. Match goes six minutes and 32 seconds. Rick, this match was weird. Because this match was not advertised for the show, Alex Shelley comes out earlier and he challenges Colt Cabana to a match, and Colt Cabana's like, hell yeah, all right, yeah, sure, we'll wrestle. Colt Cabana is set to defend the NWA National Championship the next night, and he goes out and he wrestles with Alex Shelley for six minutes and 32 seconds and just gets a roll-up out of nowhere to take the L. And I was like, what the hell's going on? And then we would find out that Colt Cabana has left Ring of Honor. Uh, yeah, it was just, you know, a weird, uh, you, you wonder if he was just kind of, you know what, let me go out there one more time. I wonder if this was a, a was uh the Baltimore screw job. Colt Cabana did not look like he thought that was, should have been the end of the match. Well, then you, you add on to this thing here. I mean, he goes out and is they're setting this match up on the pre-show. He makes mention of his schedule. You know, I just came yeah. off of a, a, a great run, a rolling tour in Tag League over in Japan. Uh, I'm, I'm setting up to, to defend the NWA's uh, national title in a triple threat tomorrow night. But you know what? Hell yeah. So, you know, they go out there, take care of a little business. And I, I thought, you know, I was kind of divided there. Okay, was this Colt just trying to say goodbye to that audience once we found out he's departing? Is this leaping a door open? Because we are going to see some crossover between NWA, Ring of Honor. Or is this a case of Ring of Honor just having to say you can go work other shows, but maybe isn't exactly in favor of those individuals choosing the NWA? I mean, there's still a lot. I mean, we got to get William Alessia on this thing. There's some sleuthing. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, dirty work to be uncovered. Yeah, it just, it just seemed very, very out of place. It would make a little bit more sense as things would roll on. But, yeah, I thought this one was weird. Maria Manic destroys Angelina Love. This match goes six minutes and 25 seconds. And this was Maria Manic over strong for six minutes and 25 seconds. Yeah, absolute squash. Uh, not a whole lot on on her here. I, I mean, I guess unless you want to talk about the fallout. Well, no, it, it's just weird to me that you have Maria Manic basically destroy like two thirds of your women's division in six minutes and 25 seconds. And I was like, now what in the hell do you do with her? Well, I guess we would find out at fallout dragon Lee captures the ROH world television championship from Shane Taylor. Uh, arguably the match of the night match goes 14 minutes and 35 seconds. Um, Rick, this match was awesome, and we knew it was going to be awesome because Shane Taylor has great matches with little guys that he can pick up and toss around, and he sells his ass off for their offense, even though he probably shouldn't. Uh, but there was one thing in this match that just really pissed me off, and it was right at the end of the match, Shane Taylor brings a, a chain into the ring to take a swing at Dragon Lee and knock his little punk ass out, all 165 pounds of him, and he misses. Chain goes flying. Okay. But then Dragon Lee picks up the chain, wraps it around his knee pad, gives Shane Taylor a flying running knee, takes the chain off, gives him another flying running knee, and then pins him for three. Now, this goes back to like the whole Rey Mysterio thing in the WWE. Can we stop with baby faces cheating to win, even if the heel introduces a foreign object? Because it's just... How am I supposed to cheer this? Well, I think, you know, it would have been much more effective if you had with Dragon Lee, if, if you are going in that route where you're going to continue on with him. Because, I mean, we don't know the exact direction they want to go with him. You, you've got to believe with that style, 
that moveset, that look. You want people to be behind it for multiple different reasons. They're going to want to cheer. It's going to move merch and all that. I think, you know, especially now that we know that Shane is on his way out, uh, this is the, the passing of, you know, the torch in this division. Okay, take this from me. And these two have had tremendous history, they are great dance partners. As you pointed out there, Jared, I mean, Shane Taylor works well with any of, you know, the smaller competitors, especially in that Lucha style. His power, his athleticism gels so well with it. I mean, this was this was a great outing, uh, a tremendous farewell to Mr. Taylor. But I think what you should have done with what he has built up, the heat he has against him, if you're really going to establish that new champion, you really want to send that home. I would have had it, you know, have the chain spot there where it is missed. You have Lee grab it. Maybe he wraps up his leg and then sit sec- has a sec- second thought and unwraps it. Then it hits him with the knee. That's your finish. You know, he didn't need it. He thought better of it. Finished him off the right way, the honorable way. We have a new champion. Our division's moving forward. Yeah, I could have got behind that. Of course, they didn't do any of it. Kind of weird. Of course, now I don't like Dragon Lee. And we'll talk about why here in just a little bit. Lethal Suction defeat the Briscoes. 21 minutes and 56 seconds. Rick, I got it cleared through Teddy Hart's legal team. We can call him Lethal Suction as long as Maria Manic is on the show. Uh, so... Lethal Suction claim the ROH Tag Team Championships. This match happens three hours into the show. It goes 21 minutes and 56 seconds. The crowd is absolutely gassed by the end of this thing. Rick, I I guess congratulations to Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham, but this match did not need to be 21 minutes and 56 seconds long. Yeah, and this this was kind of a running issue throughout this show. I mean, you could have cut some of these matches down. Make it short and sweet. And I think, you know, we're, we're talking about add a great deal of excitement overall to everything that we saw. It's across the board. I think you could have trimmed almost every one of these matches where they just kind of stressed a little too much. Uh, but this goes back to that bigger story, which was a running deal throughout, you know, from the kickoff pre-show or whatever, all the way through is the redirection of this tag division and the reemergence of, you know, or not to reemerge, but, you know, repairings, regroupings of going forward here. It's going to be a, a very much different look. We look back at 2019 and we've been regularly talking about this was a very down year for a promotion where we're usually bragging. We're putting over how tremendous the tag division is. You know, the only program that really had of any interest involved the Briscoes and G.O.D. Yep. And as we're seeing now, I wonder if, if the Briscoes, if they're going to go on a bit of a hiatus, take a vacation. They should. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe use them to to re-energize certain aspects of the singles division. We've seen them do that before. Because I think as long as they are, I don't say lingering, but as long as they're present inside that tag division, they define it. So you need to remove them a little bit if you're going to introduce a, a new direction. You know, even inside this match here, we have PJ Black out there. He's talking about, hey. You know, I'm, I've been studying at the dojo. I'm looking for someone that I can mentor, that I'm going to bring up. We're going to throw our names in this tag team division. So I'm not here scouting, you know, whoever the champions might be. And, and we know whoever takes the L here, they're still going to remain. It's a focal point of this division. He's out scouting. So that was that running theme where they're doing that business to reestablish this tag division. Yep, completely. Uh, PCO. 51, almost 52-year-old PCO defeats Roosh. 
one of the fastest rising stars that we've seen in the business in 20 years to win the ROH World Heavyweight Championship. The match goes 22 minutes and 22 seconds, although I think there was probably all of about eight minutes worth of action, and the rest of the time was a lot of walking around. Rick, uh, Earlier in the day, they had added a no disqualification stipulation to this match, which made me very, very angry because I knew that it was just going to become the train wreck that it was. I hated everything about this. Uh, there, there was a, a smoking hearse involved here. We had Destro, PCO's creator. He shows up. He can't get the hood of the car open, so he just tears off the grill, grabs some jumper cables, and, and brings PCO back to life after Roosh just beats the ever-loving shit out of him all over the arena. We got crowbars involved. We've got heel Roosh, even though he's been positioned basically as a babyface his entire run inside of Ring of Honor, and he's being like super cocky Los Ingobernables Rush, who we, we haven't seen at all. And then the show just abruptly goes off the air three hours and 59 minutes into this thing. This was an absolute train wreck. Yeah, as you said, you know, so much dead time as they're just trying to set up these props. They completely, you know, we were talking last week, our biggest worry was that they were going to over gimmick this thing out for the sake of just you know, attempting to murder PCO. We were hoping to go another direction here, you know, let these guys just go out there, you know, obviously hit some of those big spots, but let it flow more naturally through a match. Ring of Honor is so, it's so great at, at putting over the fact that they allow their referees to give some leeway. It's at their discretion and of the intensity of the moment of the match that could have easily gotten away with some big spots here. But this thing just became just over gimmicked out and it took away from the moment and, and ultimately from the entire event and I hate to say this, you know, what What a grand accomplishment. The audience absolutely love this. Ring of Honor, the, the fan base, the fanatics, 100%, 100% behind PCO. And I, and I know there's no naysayers out there that don't follow this. Like, oh, you guys, you guys hate these gimmick spots. You hate these spot monkeys. All, this, it's, all he is is a glorified one. You know, it's because in, this, in the case of PCO, it's believable. I mean, this guy is indestructible, but they just went, they crossed that line here. They went a little too far in trying to hammer that point home. And ultimately, it took away from the moment and the entire event itself. Yeah, it was just way too much. And it went way too long. But it made a little bit more sense to me on Saturday as we saw a list of departures and new faces in old places start things off in AAA. Sin Cara making his debut for AAA. I saw this hilarious article from a dirt sheet earlier today, Rick, that was saying that the WWE might sue AAA because Sin Cara is working there. Good luck with that. The Mexican court system almost as crooked as AAA Pro Wrestling and the Mexican government. Good luck with that one. Uh, not really that interesting, though. Roosh making his debut for AAA absolutely caught my attention, and I thought, oh, shit, here's what happened. Roosh is out of Ring of Honor. We, we knew that that was a one-year deal. He, he found his way out, and now he's working with AAA, which means he's probably going to end up in AEW or maybe an MLW because, you know, MLW was where he originally wanted to go in the first place. ROH works with CMLL in New Japan. AAA, AEW, MLW. There, there, there's no way. Like, this thing is over. Roosh is putting together a new faction down there with Killer Cross and L.A. Park. It looks absolutely insane. Roosh is gone. 
At least that was my thought until what we would see at Final Battle Fallout. But even with Rouge continuing to work with Ring of Honor, if he's working with AAA as well, there was no way they were going to let the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion appear on AAA television. That's what this was all about as far as I'm concerned. Well, you know, what was really telling of this, you go back to the real beef down there, the heat in Mexico is, is these talents that were formerly with CMLL. And we had to fall out there, you know, over, you know, it was dates being pulled, pay that was promised not being delivered. So you saw, was it Dragon Lee and Roosh? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the two big ones that had pulled out of there. Uh, and who was it? Was was it one of the Guerreros was in charge of, you know, handling those dates and the pay. So there, there's this major butting of the heads there. And we had speculated at the time, you know, what does this mean for the deal with Ring of Honor? Because those were all partnerships with that working connection here allowed for them to sign those one-year Ring of Honor deals. And a surprise swerve immediately following, you know, that breaking news of the fallout between Roosh, Lee, and CMML is they put the, t- the Ring of Honor championship on Roosh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had questioned at the time, is this a, you know, a sign of good faith? Hey, we're going to take care of you. We're going to make you a focal point of our company. Uh, we're going to make sure we pay you coming up when, you know, to, to renew this contract. Was that really in place there? Where are they at in their negotiations? And then you see something like this. I mean, he's down there at AAA, the main competitor to CNNL in that marketplace. And there is no love lost between those two sides. None. And how is this going to play into these bigger pictures? You got to really wonder where, if Ring of Honor, where are they at financially right now? Where are they going to these people lowballing with this out that hey, you can go work wherever you want. We're not going to try to handcuff you. We're not going to restrict the promotions, the areas, whatever you can do. Just you know, hopefully they they are putting in there. Just make sure it's outside the country or outside of our television markets. Yeah, just a crazy story. We're still trying to gather more information because. I, I can't believe that a Ring of Honor talent showed up on AAA TV. It, it just seems very inauspicious to me. Uh, let's talk about Shane Taylor. Shane Taylor puts up a tweet that says, In three-plus years, idols became peers, rivals, friends. I went from the dark match to being the match, night in and night out. I made history and did it my way. Anyone who's ever watched, cheered, booed, bought a shirt, or supported me while in a Ring of Honor ring... Thank you. Hashtag next chapter. It seems as though Shane has wrapped things up with Ring of Honor, which is unfortunate. I thought he was just absolutely killing it. I still think he's my superstar of the year for Ring of Honor in 2019. Um, Rick, what do you want to see as the next chapter for Shane Taylor? Where do you want to see Shane end up in this entire crazy world of professional wrestling? Well, you're talking about, you know, your superstar for Ring of Honor, Mr. Shane Taylor. I, I make an argument that he's the breakout star in pro wrestling for 2019. You know, where the argue. year started, where the year started, where he, you know, is seemingly finishing now, what he was able to achieve. And how, you know, he shared that with us. You know, I can't recall if I know he's been on a couple of times with us. Can't recall if it was here in the Monday locker room, but it was on the Hitting March Pro Wrestling podcast, hittingmarks.com. Now, he shared that with us going into the year. Now, he guaranteed you're going to see some major things from me. Uh, opportunity is there. I'm going to seize that opportunity. I'm going to take the ball. I'm going all the way with it, baby. We're going to the end zone. And, and he absolutely did that. And what he was doing there, it, it got fans invested. He was actually one of the standout personas, the characters that you you wanted to, you love to hate him. 
and he was so masterful in what in what he was delivering. You hate to see Ring of Honor lose him, and, you know, especially if you're Ring of Honor, but that is the nature of the business. He is moving on here, looking at some uh, some potential destinations. That, that grass is greener on the other side. Man, you, you got to believe his connections with Keith Lee, that WWE would give him a look. You know, here's my fear there. Um, my fear would be Keith Lee has gotten so hot since Survivor Series. Um, and I don't think Keith Lee is going to be in NXT for long. I am afraid that either Shane would go into NXT and they would move Keith to the main roster and he would be viewed as the replacement for Keith Lee or that they would keep Keith Lee in NXT, which I think is a mistake, and put them together as the pretty boy killers or just call them PBK, whatever, and, and put them together as a tag team, which I think would be a mistake and hold both of them back from what they could be. I could see your argument there. Uh, on the flip side of that, though, I think, you know, if they were realigned together, that they would have the potential. I think they have, you know, the charisma, the athleticism, the overall talent, that they're going to be able to shine. And if they can play off of each other one more time, that they could, you know, parlay that into great success single down the line. And I think one of the things with Shane, you know, he does have a very unique look. Mm-hmm. That without a Keith Lee maybe leading that way, opening door, because, I mean, they are very similar. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like yin and yang. Like, Keith is the light and Shane is the dark. Yeah, I mean, but their looks, their styles. Yeah, are, and, are very I, I mean, similar. even just the, the the way that they present themselves. Well, I'm going well, I'm going off of that, you know, just the, the, the physicality of it here is they might have looked at those guys and said, okay, you know, they're, I mean, they're big, but they're not like the bulky hunks that, you know, Vince has been rumored mm-hmm. or, you know, that everyone regularly puts over the, you know, that he's drooling about. And then even looking at them too, you go, okay, with their build, you know, maybe they're not that athletic. Are they going to be able to keep up with these certain styles that, that we've become accustomed to? Fuck yeah, they and can. I, well, I know they absolutely can. And Keith's already been there and proven that wrong. Mm-hmm. So he's opened those eyes, you know, to those potential naysayers. And if he's going to put in that word, hey, I got a guy that's just like me. Mm-hmm. But personality-wise, is the opposite. And you can see, you know, look into the future, get your crystal ball and be like, dude, we could make some real money down the line. And oh, by the way, we work tremendously together. So you could build us up to get that backstory there to when we do blow up, you know, when you do have these two monsters, finally the bulls, you know, butting those horns, you're going to have huge paydays. I think that's going to open a lot of doors for him. Outside of that, you know, I'd, I'd love to see Shane go over and tour Japan. Yeah, J- the Japan thing absolutely intrigues me, especially because of his style. The other one that intrigues me, and I I hate to just push this narrative that everybody should just go to AEW, but I think Shane Taylor would fit very, very well on that roster. As we were talking about with Dragon Lee, Shane works really, really well with small guys that he can pick up and toss around, and he can sell his ass off even though he doesn't necessarily have to. Rick, I think he would be a welcome addition to that roster, especially when you're looking for number one, bigger guys, and number two, more diversity inside of the roster itself. I think, you know, those are two two very important uh, arguments there that you, that you got your own. They really need to diversify that. We have so many that look similar, so much in size. But going back to AEW, and the reason that, that I try to stay away from that now is, you know, as you said, yeah, immediately everybody, because it is still the hot card. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, people want to be all with it here. You got to look I, for the I right still, fit. I still, and I think he would be a good fit, but I, I still have concern over the time management and just getting people introduced into yeah. AEW. I feel like we've still got so many people that they have invested money in. We've yeah. heard about this good money. We don't know their financials now, but you regularly hear, I'm finally getting a decent pay. I can live off of this. But we haven't even, there's, there's plenty we haven't even seen yet, even on Dark. Yeah. And, you know, you can't even really consider, you know, take Dark and search because, I mean, look at those numbers. Only a very small portion of this audience is even tuning into that right now. So we're very limited on on television time and who's going to be occupying that. Speaking of small portions of the audience, let's talk about some guys who either made their debut or return to the NWA. Uh, number one, Colt Cabana, of course, the current national champion, or at least he was until we talk about Into the Fire. Uh, so are we to assume that Colt is going NWA like quote unquote full time, whatever full time is for Colt Cabana at this point? Well, I think, you know, you see, we would just talk about him losing at final battle. It's no surprise. I mean, we're going to talk about the match in itself. He loses the national title at into the fire. I, what is the future for Colt Cabana? Is, is it time for him? Is he going to step back from the performance get you know, back into the podcasting game. He's so talented. I mean, there's so many avenues that, that he can go down. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Cole Cabana wants to make a whole bunch of money. You know what he needs to do. He needs to move to Japan for a couple of years and team up with fucking Yano. Those two got over as shit during World Tag League. There's a lot of money to be made for Cole Cabana in Japan. And that is something that, you know, that we should talk about there that, you know, that he should be looking at. And maybe there is something to that because look at the tremendous success that they had. Yeah. I mean, a team that a team that is usually together that 16, finishes near that bottom. Points. Yeah. I mean, that's probably more points than they have accumulated in the history of their past history of working together in tag league. Yeah. Yeah, and they're owed a shot at the IWGP World Heavyweight Tag Team Championships because they pinned fucking G.O.D. Well, and let's not forget, too, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean a complete uphaul, you know, rerouting everything and going to Japan because we're launching New Japan America here. That's a good point, too. That's a very good point. Somebody else making her debut for the NWA, Tasha Steeles. We would see her take on Thunder Rosa on this show. And then, of course, the big one that everybody's talking about today, the villain, Marty Skrull. Uh, Rick, in an era where there's not much in pro wrestling that surprises me and or pops me, Marty Skrull showing up at the NWA popped the shit out of me because I had no idea, no clue and I heard that music and I was like, you've got to be fucking shitting me. And sure enough, out he comes and he was the villain. Like that was the first time I have seen the villain Marty Skrull in like two fucking years. Well, you know, this is getting back to the roots where they're not just, you got that feelings for so long in, in Ring of Honor. They're just using Marty as that marquee. Marquee Marty. Well, I mean, like, they didn't really have any direction, any plan for him. It was, hey, we know people are going to gravitate towards him. He's still a recognized figure with us. And probably the most recognized figure that they had, you but, know, amongst that, mean, that group. 
even in the presentation, like he comes out in like the shirt and tie and the big poofy coat and the sunglasses. Like that was the villain. And then I watched Ring of Honor and he's coming out in a fucking baseball jersey and shit. And it's just like, right. Well, I think that's, that's the point, you know, in Ring of Honor, he was getting that payday. There wasn't really direction for him. They had completely dropped the ball going back to Madison Square Garden where it should have been Marty's moment. And he should have been carrying this company going forward. And that's a lot of the reason uh, why they're that they're kind of where they're at right now. And why they've really you know fallen away from the AEWs, from the Major League Wrestling, from New Japan, from Impact Wrestling. That's why Ring of Honor's at the lower end of that, you know, that total pole, that pecking order. They could have been much bigger had they invested in Marty. You got to believe that even he sees that. And now this is an opportunity. The NWA probably went to him and said, hey, this is yours. We want you. We'll, we'll give it to you. You give us your best. We need you right now. And this is what you get. Now, for all the NWA fans out there, and man, you wouldn't believe how many of them were out there talking shit. Oh, you all thought he was going to AEW. Calm your freaking tits. All right. Uh, Rick, it, Meltzer reported a while ago that once Marty's contract expired with Ring of Honor, he had one independent date that he was going to do before he made his decision on what he was going to do with his future. And he wouldn't tell anybody what it was. Clearly, now we know that one date is going to be for the NWA. What I'm assuming is this is going to headline their next pay-per-view. They are doing this thing on a really short build for a company that doesn't have a whole lot of TV time. And I don't even know when in the hell they're doing tapings for this week's episode Um, because I saw nothing of a TV taping schedule going forward to the next pay-per-view. This thing's like in 40 days. So you do Nick Aldis versus Marty Skrull for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. I'll buy it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, going into the weekend, you know, into the fire, I, I was over top about this thing. I, I was so excited for the NWA. I know you're kind of here or there. You keep up on the big news that happens like that. I'm invested each and every week. It's must viewing television for me or viewing wrestling for me. Uh, this absolutely, this is huge for them. This is major. This is getting people talking. This is going to bring eyes towards their programming. But the big question that's looming out there is, okay, what's in the can? When are the tapings? As you said, we've got a little, just a little over a month. What are we going to do to build here? I'm not so worried that, you know, that they, that if something isn't scheduled, I'm like you really couldn't find anything with it. I'm sure they've got some stuff in the can. You can shoot, you know, vignettes, you can shoot matches at other locations. Uh, That's the beauty of this thing. My only worry with that is though, if you're not using your footage that you've already got, you know, you know, set in your can here, I mean, it's going to take away from your studio setting. And that's what the vibe, that's what makes it so special about the NWA right now is that that history, that return to yesterday, you know, giving you all those those tremendous feelings of when you were a younger fan and, and all the throwbacks. It's going to be interesting how they get this thing to play out. But still, you bring in Marty here. That's over the top. And it looks like, you know, we got another big announcement. We're going to have the television title returning we're going to be crowning a champion there uh so some some great excitement for the nwa right now so let's talk about into the fire number one what did you think of the show because it's in the same studio where they shoot power 
but they set it up completely differently. They actually had people come out with entrance music. It was very Lucha Underground to me, how they would like come out and then come down the stairs through the crowd, like if everybody entered like Moxley. Um, I, I thought this was a really cool setup. And like we talked about MLW when they did their pay-per-views and we were a little disappointed with the presentation, myself and MSG, because it, nothing felt special. Nothing felt different than just a regular episode of Fusion. NWA in exactly the same setting, exactly the same setup. They made this feel different. And I applaud them for that. Well, you know, you know, talking about that with you and, and MSG, you know, my counterpoint to both was, you know, you got to build familiarity. Mm-hmm. You let people know what to expect from your product. You're, you know, for MLW, it was their first pay-per-view. You're opening yourself up to all these new viewers. You got all this hype, but you want people to know, realize what they're going to get tuning in each and every week. You know, they're going to find you, uh, you know, be in, or if they're coming to your social media, you want them to be familiar with it. I think what, what would happen here, and I defended MLW on that, and I still will. But I think this was a tremendous move by the NWA because you still know what they're about. You still know the studio setting. You still saw how they conduct their interviews. Now you, you come over to the table there and, and you got the commentator and the interviewer still in that same area. You still had the same ring, the same you know crowd set up, but you spiced it up a little bit. You, you took it to that next level, let you know that this is a bigger marquee event. Kudos to them. I, mean, I thought this was a tremendous touch. Uh, just that extra that extra spice to make it nice for the NWA. And, and I I love the setting here. Uh, I love the vibe. I love the environment. Obviously, you're not playing to this huge, huge crowd. But, man, there was a tremendous energy. And, yeah. and they were absolutely behind it. This fan base there, they, they buy in. We talk about it regularly with the AEW. These fans buy into what you were trying to accomplish. They, they want to be – they don't want to take over your show. They're not trying to be the stars themselves. They play along, and that adds tremendously to the environment, the experience. I thought overall this was a home run for the NWA. So let's kind of look at some of these undercard matches real quick. Eli Drake defeats Ken Anderson in 9 minutes and 16 seconds. This is one of the longer matches on the show. Um, and then later on in the show, we would get Eli Drake cutting a promo and then Mr. Anderson comes out and attacks him and beats the ever loving piss out of him. Rick, this seemed like a good old fashioned double turn to me. Is, is, is Did I get this right? Uh, this, these two have kind of been teetering back and forth here. And it's one thing in the NWA is that we've seen in, in the build towards into the fire is we're still establishing some individuals. And I feel like, you know, they're trying to, you know, judge the waters themselves. One of the things you point out there at match time, this is one of the longer ones and it's under 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but all, but ultimately then, you know, we do get a spot with them later in the show. So they get another three or minutes. Of that. So they're, they're getting 12 to 13 minutes. They're arguably, you know, that second tier of your biggest stars match time throughout this show. Something that really jumped out to me. It was very old school. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna come out. We're gonna hit you quick with some stuff with this with the undercard. But it's about building towards this main event. It's about our main program. It's about the the world's championship. And, and I love that old school aspect to that. Where you know we talk about we were just talking about that with Ring of Honor and a lot of the undercard just seemed to drag at times. Drag, drag, drag. I know we're gonna have that same conversation when we get to TLC. Mm-hmm. A lot of these match times could be cut. You're losing people on this undercard. Getting to what you're trying to sell is your major marquee. That's one of the things I loved about the NWA. You know, you had it was short and sweet on this undercard, time efficient, in and out, and now we're ready to go for these big matches. 
Tasha Steeles makes her debut. She even comes out, cuts a little bit of a promo. I'm not exactly sure what she had to say, but I dug the body language. Um, and then Thunder Rosa comes out, friend of the show. And Thunder Rosa, it seemed, was supposed to be playing a heel. Um, that's not going to work because that girl is over as hell inside of that arena. Uh, Thunder Rosa takes care of Tasha Steeles in 4 minutes and 15 seconds. Um, I think Tasha Steeles is a good pickup for the NWA, brings a little bit of different flavor into that women's division, and I think Thunder Rosa getting the win was the right move here. Uh, she's in a feature program, Tasha Steeles making her debut. Just a little odd that it was on the pay-per-view. Like th- This felt like it should have been on an episode of Power to me. Uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, they're looking for some filler here, but again, it doesn't eat up too much time. You're going around yeah. that at four minute mark. I think this was more about getting Thunder Rose on the scene. Cause as you said, I mean, they're, they're not just falling in love with her inside the NWA studio and all that. And this is happening everywhere she goes. Yeah. I mean, her, the twisted sisters in themselves, tremendous tag teams, great persona, incredible athletes, you know, each and every time out, it's, I was saying, you know, I was been catching up watching last year's, you know, road to final battle. They were involved in that, the Twisted Sisters. And I kept thinking to myself each and every time I see them on an episode, man, I, I would love to see them. The Twisted Sisters, the Kabuki Warriors. That would be a tremendous outing. So much fun. She works and, her ass off, too, man. Whether it's WoW, whether it's Lucha Underground, Ring of Honor, uh, Combates Americas, uh, the yeah. NWA. Like, she is making her rounds for somebody who's still fairly new to the business in general. And, and she's so advanced, too. She's moved along. If you're out there and you haven't checked her out, do yourself a tremendous favor. Thunder Rosa or just the Twisted Sisters in general. Flip the coin here. Tasha Steeles, she spent some time traveling through the great state of Ohio, the hotbed of independent pro wrestling. I've had an opportunity to check her out on a number of occasions against some incredible talents. Uh, I recall uh, just an um, incredible match with Jocelyn Navarro, who I'm also really big on. But, you know, adding Tasha Steeles to this, to this division, what a great find. What a great signing for NWA. And we talk about women's wrestling. You know, is it working? Is it selling? Is, is it too spread out? Who's the leader in the industry here? The NWA, this division in itself, I mean, they, they've got some incredible talent. They are focused on it. They give it time. It's got great stories, great development. And we're going to see that throughout this show. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they've gone ahead. They've they've reintroduced Melina. Uh, I think she's uh, a great addition in that veteran role. She has so much that she can bring, especially with helping you know, working in that live audience, working those cameras, things like that. There's so much that she's going to learn to. I'm still beautiful as ever. And, and then just top to bottom, you know, from the champ, Allison Kay, who I think when we talk about the best in the world, you know, we're selling her short. I think she should be mentioned right up there, arguably in that number one spot. Yeah, we just don't see it, get an uh, opportunity to see her work nearly as often as we do a lot of the other what I consider the upper echelon of the women inside of the world. Uh, the question mark alongside of Aaron Stevens defeat Trevor Murdoch. This match goes five minutes and 55 seconds. Uh, Rick, I love this gimmick because this is the exact opposite of Mizdow. Instead of Aaron Stevens, Damian Sandow playing the role of the other guy, he's now the main guy. And the question mark's the one that everybody loves and they hate freaking Sandow. It's absolutely fantastic. If you know his career and, and just kind of the path that he has taken, he is so great inside of the NWA. This absolutely works for me. Uh, again, you know, it just shows, it speaks to you know, how genius he is. Well, let's, uh, let, let's not get carried away because some of that impact shit he did was awful. When he first got out of the WWE, it was awful. 
Yeah, but you have to be opened up to, to try different things, you know. And now he's he's found this groove. He's found this niche here where it, this is it's a throwback. It's a classic. And this audience is buying into it. They're eating it's it up. Great. He's one of those individuals that they love to hate. And in turn, now they have they've gravitated towards they're so endearing towards the question mark. Yeah. The question mark is just fantastic. When he was out there singing his national anthem, it was just one of the most beautiful things that I've ever heard. Uh, the Rock and Roll Express defeat the Wild Cards five minutes and five seconds to retain the NWA Tag Team Championships. I'm going to be completely honest. I fell asleep during this match, even though it was only five minutes and five seconds. But Rick, you know what else happened? I think the Rock and Roll Express fell asleep during this match because this match was fucking awful. Like they were literally running into each other in the middle of the ring. Like this, this was just not good. Why? Well, hey, come on. You know, this, this is about history. This is oh, a, yeah, just I'll, 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 I'll pop for rock and roll every time, man. But the match was awful. This is this is about uh, the the moment, the energy, the excitement around it. This isn't about the technical prowess. Uh, this is what we've got here. Do you realize that these guys, they debuted as a tag team in 1983? That's uh, so what are we talking? Amazing. It, it, you're going on 37 years later. Yeah, I mean, that that's just obscene. It, they have traveled the world. They've worked in, all over the territory system. Uh, they're up there in the top five greatest of all time. In all of their travels, they have accumulated 43 major championships. Listen, I mean, we all love the Rock and Roll Express, all right? And the fact that we love the Rock and Roll Express is just going to make it that much more hurtful when Eddie Kingston and Homicide beat the ever-loving shit out of the Rock and Roll Express and leave them in a puddle of their own blood and end up taking their NWA World Tag Team Championships. Like, they're friends right now. That ain't gonna... The guy's name is Homicide, for Christ's fucking sake. Like, he ain't gonna be friendly for too long. They're gonna beat the ever-loving shit out of these two old men, and I'm gonna love every goddamn second of it. Well, hold on. You know, not just looking over your own shoulder looking at Kingston and Homicide. This is a very dangerous tag division. Uh, the Wild Cards, they're going to be hungry here. You know, they they emerged on the scene going back to the Crockett Cup, came out of nowhere to, to win these championships. Uh, they're devastated that they were not only beaten once, but twice by the Rock and Roll Express. you, you got to believe they're going to be on the hunt. And then who they had in their corner, also very dangerous in the Dawson's. I mean, this, this is a very dangerous division. Rock and Roll Express, they, they got to be watching out here. Absolutely. Uh, give me the Dawson's uh, as well versus King and Homicide. Like, make that a number one contender match because I want to see that shit too. Hey, and you know what? You just inside your own division, what you know is established. You got to keep an eye out. We don't know what else is happening around this world. Hey, we don't know what the Briscoes, where they're going to go, where they're going to show up. Yeah. And, and they've already declared war on the NWA. And then, of course, there's, you know, the former NWA tag team champions, Crockett Cup winners, Brody King and PCO, now the ROH World Heavyweight Champion. And, you know, the leader of Villain Enterprises just showed up. So who in the fuck knows what's going to happen? Allison Kay and ODB filling in for, um, um, shit, what's her name? Ashley um, Knox, Ashley Vox, uh, the other baby face inside of the women's division because they only got about five. And they defeat Melina and Marty Bell. Seven minutes and 25 seconds. This one of the longer matches on the show and it did not necessarily need to be. Melina barely got in the ring. Like she stood on the apron and looked pretty and I'm totally fine with that because the money match is going to be Allison Kay versus Melina, I assume, at this pay-per-view in January. 
Well, and I wonder too, you know, it, how active does she want to be? I know she has been working indies here in the last couple of years. Uh, but yeah, do you want to save a little bit? You don't want to give too much away. But it is going to be interesting what her role is. And I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, even if she is more of a, a voice, you know, that mouthpiece for the heel faction inside. Hey, you're talking about only a handful of people in this division. Yeah, the numbers might not be there, but the talent is. Hey, that's all they need, man. It's only a one hour show on YouTube once a week. Like five women, that gives you like three, four matchups. That's all you need for six months worth of TV. Absolutely. And, you know, Allison Kay, as I said, I I cannot put her over enough. Uh, To me, she's up there in the top three, four, and you can make an argument as the number one, you know, best female performer in the world right now. But this place goes absolutely crazy for the friend of the high mean media group platform, the queen of barbecue ODB. I mean, this place went nuts for her, uh, a great act. And hopefully that she's going to stick around for a little bit. Isn't she perfect for the NWA? I mean, she go out there, work five minute matches, you know, and just, it's all character and you get to walk around and get drunk the whole time that you do it. I mean, it's just perfect for ODB. So happy for her. Aaron Stevens, along with the question mark, defeat Colt Cabana and Ricky Starks to win the national championship. This match goes 12 minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, Rick, I don't remember anything about this match except for the fact that I have no idea what the finish was because they fucking missed it. And that was one of the things that happened a lot throughout this show. Uh, You could definitely tell this was the first time that the NWA had been live with this uh, technical crew versus doing everything in post. Uh, And, you know, that's a major difference. It's a game changer. Absolutely. When you're out there on it. I mean, it's it's ain't no fuck up button when you're live. Yeah, I mean, there's nowhere that you can revert back to. Uh, I'm sure, you know, maybe they're, they're they're probably just happy they didn't have Corny on board for a live television taping or for a live, you know, pay-per-view airing. It's too bad we didn't have Corny at TLC last night for that KFC spot. Well, I, I, I can't wait. I cannot wait to get into that one. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's a there's another story in here. I mean, we've had some build here. There is some major heat between Aaron Stevens and... And Ricky Starks, who is a, a young, great-looking, tremendous talent. Uh, so that's going to be that program going forward. Another big question coming out of this thing is, where does this leave Colt Cabana? You know, what is what does his future hold? Aaron Stevens hiding behind a Christmas tree was, and then falling as he's trying to run to the ring to break up a pin might be like the best new gif that is on the internet. It's going to rank right up there with Titus World Slide. That was just absolutely freaking hilarious. Nick Aldis defeats James Storm 2-1 to one to retain the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in 22 minutes. That's right. This match went almost twice as long as everything else on the card because it was for Sweet Sweet Charlotte. And this was the NWA's first pay-per-view. I have absolutely no issue with it, even though people are complaining that this match went too long but rick my really the only issue that i have with this was as soon as cowboy james storm got beat he was just like fuck you i'm out like he was just gone like this whole marty squirrel thing happened james storm knew that he wasn't the story like i i would have liked to seen a little bit more with like cowboy james storm and earl hebner and tim storm and nick aldis and the entire referee controversy that we would see unfold in that third fall Wrong, Hebner. Did I not say Brian? Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. Sorry. I thought you said Earl. <laughs> oh, if I did say Earl, yeah, I was wrong. It was Brian. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're exactly right because 
the controversy that caused you know Storm to lose this opportunity, James Storm to lose this opportunity at the NWA World Championship. I mean, you got to think you got immediately got questions right there. You're not going to wait. You're not going to wait to have those answered later or go talk to the office, especially if you're James Storm. You're the cowboy. You want answers right then, right there. So they did flush that along, obviously, you know, for the post-match gimmick and all that, that angle that they're going to start developing. But to me, those naysayers there, I I thought this was great. I mean, this is the main event. This is why you're here. This is what you're building towards. All those stakes on the line. Two out of three. You got the stipulation with the referees. And, oh, yes, sweet Charlotte, the 10 pounds of gold on the line. But to me – they did some great business here, and not just with Marty. One thing that's always stood out to me is I'm watching Power each and every week, and, and you can see it here, but it's even in the pre-match interview with all this coming out. Anytime he comes out to speak, man, there's something off with him to me. And I don't mean that in a sense of, you know, professionally what he's doing. It's in that persona. I don't think he is to be trusted one bit by anybody with inside the NWA. I mean, he... It seems he is a a snake or a wolf in sheep's clothing here. He manipulates every situation. He comes off as he is so proud to represent the NWA, and he's this fighting champion, and he's someone that the fans can rally behind and be proud of that he represents them, and he is that's why he is the greatest world champion in all professional wrestling. But he's always manipulating things. If it's to, to what he's doing with, with James Storm, with Tim Storm, with Camille, Anybody. I mean, even how he got Storm to drop the, the national title. And he wins all of his matches really, really cheap. Absolutely. And he and he pushes the rules as well. And then he'll go sell it as, oh, a great competitor. You know, this is just, it's just what we do inside this ring. Well, no, I mean, in here, in this case, you're using an exposed turnbuckle where you've been trying to vilify James Storm this entire time. But well, he's just really been real in himself. But what are you, Nick Aldis? Well, and, and I've been picking up on that for a long time, even going back before power. But it's but it's really started to shine through as we get to see him week in, week out. And of course, the first fall he wins with a roll up. You know, it wasn't like that was a definitive fall in any way, shape or form. Cowboy James Storm wins the coin toss. So his referee is doing the official third fall. All this just happens to take him out with a clothesline. And then his referee happens to come in and make the three count. Like Cowboy can shoot all kinds of holes in this thing. But, you know, it's villain time and we only got Marty for like a month. Well, and I don't, you know, and I don't think that there's a whole lot of issue that he's getting these other, you know, these other moving parts and cahoots with him. He's manipulating them. I, I don't mm-hmm. think that there was anything going on between Tim Storm and Nick Aldis. I think it was, you know what, I'm going to, because Tim Storm, he truly does. He is a prideful man. He is about tradition and wanted to do everything that was right to make sure that this match was was represented properly from the referees, the officiating standpoint. I just think he got into the manipulation game. And I, the bigger question is, where does Camille stand on us? Are they, were they working James Storm? Do they continue to work everybody? You know, they, they manipulate every interview that they happen to be in here. Are they still together? Is this some grander plan that we're seeing? And what did Camille whisper into the Cowboys' ear? We still don't know. Well, and I think, you know, going you know going into that next pay-per-view, obviously Marty now is going to emerge as a challenger for the NWA World Championship. And I think we can have another tremendous match with Tim Storm and James Storm. Yeah, I'm down with that. I'm absolutely down with that. Rematch from the Crockett Cup. Marty Skrull versus Nick Aldis for Sweet, Sweet Charlotte. Uh, 
speaking of Marty, so everybody's like, okay, so Marty made the jump to the NWA, right? Well, Ring of Honor, before they even run a graphic for what show you're watching, it opens with the Villain Enterprise's music, out comes Marty Skrull, and the rest of Villain Enterprises, PCL, Flip Gordon, Brody King, and they jump in the ring, and Marty says, let's just go ahead and address the elephant in the room. I've been getting a lot of questions all day. Yes, these are custom Nikes. They're mine. I'm, I'm making that big coin now, you know, so... I can afford these. Oh, oh, you want to talk about Flip's scarf. That's what we want to talk about. Never does address it. Uh, great stuff. This is all set up, basically, so Roosh can come up on the screen and say, hey, PCO, you stole my fucking title with your stupid bullshit hearse and jumper cables and Destro and all this other bullshit. You think you're just going to get away with that? Uh-uh. Nope, I put together my new faction down in Mexico last night. They're called La Facion Ingobernable. Yeah, it's a faction of ungovernables. And, and it's got Roosh, and it's got L.A. Park, and it's got Killer Cross, and it's got Conan, and it's got Bestia del Ring. And now, inside of the American version, we have Roosh, and we have Kenny King. He's ungovernable now. And Dragon Lee has finally joined his brother. Roosh tried forever to get him to join Los Ingobernables. It's 50 bucks, Cody. And no, uh-uh, wasn't doing it. But, oh, what's that? You're going to start a new faction with basically the same name? Fuck it, bro. I'm in. So now we have the answer to who is going to take the ROH World Six-Man Championships from Villain Enterprises so Marty can move on with his life. It's going to be La Facion in Gobernable. Well, and then, you know, this plays back into, two where you were talking about with Dragon Lee using that chain. Yep. Yeah, so suddenly I'm not supposed to like Dragon Lee. Okay. You know, which I still think, you know, that would have been so so much yeah, more just, impactful if we were like sold on the night, you know, two nights earlier. Holy crap, and then you have this like, whoa, whoa wait, wait, what? Yeah, wait, I mean, what? What the fuck just happened? Nothing. Nothing. Uh Kenny King, I, I, I can get behind that. And like I said, I hopefully all three of these guys beat the shit out of Rhett Titus. You know, I, I can absolutely get behind that. This was basically all of the business that they did on this show. Everything else was just like debuts and boring bullshit. Uh, Mark Haskins defeats Hallow Wicked, making his long awaited return to Ring of Honor that I don't think anybody was asking for. Nicole Savoy defeats Sumi Sakai. Um, and then I guess we get a little bit of something interesting. We get the allure. The allure come out, and they're, they're thoroughly pissed off. And Maria Manic, if you've got the balls, see what I did there, uh, you, you'll come out here and you'll face me right now, bitch. And so out comes Maria Manic, and Maria Manic just fucks up the allure again, and she's getting ready to put Angelina Love through a table, which everybody wants to see, because who doesn't enjoy watching Angelina Love go through a table, right? And then Bully Ray shows up, and Bully Ray puts Maria Manic through a table. So Maria Manic has basically buried the entire Women of Honor division, including the former champion. We don't have a current champion. And now it seems as though we are poised for Maria Manic versus Bully Ray, which only makes sense because Maria Manic is just above the Women of Honor division after like two nights in the company. Well, I mean, it, it gets Manic out of that, out of that spot. 
now, so that you now, can refocus my question, on that. My question is, where is Velvet Sky? Because we haven't seen Velvet Sky for like two nights. Like, did I miss something where Maria Manic may have taken out Velvet Sky? And that's why Bully Ray is pissed off at Maria Manic? Because like that's said, a story I, I can get you, behind. In case I missed something that, you know, with Ring of Honor show in and out on what the hell they're doing here. I, I thought I just completely missed it. I know that uh, Velvet doesn't, she's not really interested in wrestling anymore. Right. Uh, she wants her there to do what she can absolutely do best. And that is look. Freaking incredible. Every time. Uh, you're talking about doing business on this show. This is what got me. This is what popped me for the night. And not because anything actually inside of Ring of Honor. It's because I actually took the damn time about, I don't know, 15 minutes of my life to watch whatever the hell that Maria Manic and Teddy Hart have going on on YouTube. Hashtag lethal suction. 15 minutes of my life I will never get back. Having to see the, the inside of, of their personal life and all this. So thank you, Bully Ray, for being Bully Ray and going out there and putting her through this damn table. I'll tell you, even outside of the absolute train wreck that they seem to have going on and whatever shenanigans they have in their life. With Maria Manning, you know what I really felt like, though? This is comparable to when Luchasaurus talked. Okay, you're, you're this big, incredible, massive dinosaur. You're going to destroy everybody. And then you start telling me about your PhD and how educated you are. And you sound like a, a five foot five twerp. You know, I, I was just waiting. For, I think maybe the gimmick would get over with Luchasaurus. Start coming out. I wanted to come out like in the leather and tweed jacket with the pipe and start educating us. You know, the PhD dinosaur. Uh, but yeah, with Manic, as soon as I heard her talk, everything went out the window for me. I'm like, okay, you are no longer a badass. You, you have ruined the persona for me. You're someone that should have stuck to your gun, stuck to your gimmick. Rode that wave out here. Outside of your craziness and your nonsense, you ruined it for me there. So thank you, Bully Ray, for putting the man-eater through that wood. You know, I, I every once in a while I have an idea that I'm just like, fuck, that would be a great scene in a movie. And, and you just gave me one. I want, I want to have, like, you know, this guy just, like, talking mad shit to all these little kids on, like, an online video game. And then the one kid's just like, hey, fuck you, motherfucker. You want to meet up? I'll kick your ass. And the guy's like, all right, sure, let's do it. And the guy shows up and it's Mike Tyson. I mean, anybody heard Mike Tyson talk? I mean, he's the epitome of that. Like, really? That's your voice? Really? There's a a little bit of a a distinction, you know, a difference between Mike Tyson and and Luchasaurus. Yeah, I love your idea there, but I think people would know Mike Tyson's voice. Maybe I'll pick that up because he's so, you know, just so famous. Everybody knows who he is. Yeah, but I over, mean, a, over a headset on like a, on an online video game, I could totally see Mike Tyson doing that. I don't know. I, I think it'd be better with Luchasaurus because then you have a six foot seven dinosaur show up. Yeah, fuck you. You bet. <laughs> Jonathan Gresham defeats Alex Shelley on this show. Not a whole lot to talk about there other than the match was good. Uh, Bateman defeats Tracy Williams, which leads into uh, Vincent's whole little cult thing. The Young Woods. That's right. Two guys, one tag. Defeat the Briscoes to become the number one contenders to the tag team championships. Thanks to Jonathan Gresham and Jay Lethal, who screw the Briscoes because the last thing they want to do is face the Briscoes again. So, Rick, I kind of like this entire little uh, love triangle that we're starting to weave inside of the tag team division. That's a good pickup of them just completely rebuilding that tag division. Flip Gordon defeats Ray Horace, which was just perplexing to me. And then we have Villain Enterprises 
defeating the team of Jeff Cobb and Dan Muff, which is, I, I was just perplexed. Like Marty even gets the pinfall. And I'm like, as far as I know, you don't have Marty for any more dates. So like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, is this a case of they're going to build? I mean, obviously we're talking about putting these two monsters together. Uh, they're they're going to have to gel. I mean, can they get together? And if they do get together, how destructive can it be? I mean, obviously two guys of this size, this power, you know, these two pit bulls getting put down by someone not, you not technically from Marty. I mean, he's one of the biggest stars in independent wrestling, but that's size difference there. Yeah. Uh, inside this deal. And is it, Continue to make Marty look better when they have to make that switch for the six man. I guess I don't know. It's just the whole thing seems weird. Uh, speaking of weird, let's talk about TLC. Um, and and we're gonna go through this show fast because this show's just not worth talking about. Uh, Rick, I did not enjoy this show at all. Outside of like the first two matches, uh, in their defense, I did not see the Humberto versus Andrade match. I only saw basically the aftermath of it. Uh, Rick, did you watch the pre-show at all? Uh, I was able. To, yes, I caught all the matches. I was you know, just a little bit late on the pre-show. Uh, I had some sound issues that I was taking care of, but I was able to to catch uh, pretty you know the match. The matches that unfolded here and i know hey you you were all over this thing over on facebook and homie media discussion group i mean from start to finish you were just blasting this event that's because it's so you know, you know one of us has to be one of us has to be a voice of reason and it, when you go into something yes this was not the best outing for wwe it, it wasn't something that we're going to be talking about throughout 2020 and, and and memorable moments and all that but I mean, we got to take into account what this thing was. We got to look for some positives, and there were some positives sprinkled throughout this evening. They were in the right direction, not necessarily hitting the mark there, but we we got to take TLC for what it is. I mean, we came in here with little to no build. I mean, how many times did you see individuals that would be on, you know, across any of the social media platforms, even questioning, "Oh my God, there's an event tonight." Well, oh, WWE is running this weekend. And that falls into, you know, this overpacked schedule that they're running, especially when we get into this holiday season. And now there's so much wrestling out there to consume. It's easy to get lost in something like this. One who's, of the biggest issues with is TLC that? in itself. Whose fault is that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's going after, you know, that financial gain. And it's money grub and try to get, you know, just milk every little bit of, cent, you know, every little cent that you can out of your consumer. But I think, that, you know, the biggest issue here with, with with T with a with an event like TLC, I mean, how much different would have been if in December they they literally were advertising a legit Starcade instead of gimmicking out an entire pay per view? I, I think just because of the nostalgia, the history, but the overall just feel for it being away from gimmicking something out, like outright gimmicking it, would create more of an excitement. Yep. And that does fall on WWE. Now, I think in that sense, though. It, you can't really blame a lot of performers. They're still going out there busting their ass. I thought that we saw some some innovative stuff in this thing. We've seen some people going out there giving their all great performances. So I'm not completely down on this thing. And there's some positives that we can take from it, uh, from all aspects of it. But they, they really need to reevaluate this thing. Because mainly when you're setting yourself up with, with, all, with these gimmick-style pay-per-views, I mean, by the second or third gimmick match, you're just spent. You've seen everything. And especially when you're repeating these things. Yep. Absolutely. And, and TLC is a little bit more than those. Because even with Hell in a Cell, okay, yes. 
we know we're going to get two cell matches, which which is very tiresome. But in TLC, I mean, then we start adding in. You ended up here with you can do tables, you could do a ladder match, you could add chairs if you'd like. We see them add stairs, and then you throw the whole dynamic together once or twice. Everything goes a little over the top. Yep. Just too much. Humberto defeats Andrade, which nobody necessarily cares about because we're all talking about the potential of an Andrade and Zelina Vega split, which is one of the worst decisions that I can possibly think of the WWE making in 2019. And that's actually saying a hell of a lot because 2019 has not been a great creative year for them. But why in the world would you want to split these two up? Yeah, I absolutely, I I don't get the logic here whatsoever. Uh, I I don't see them having a a great deal of, I I don't know, investment going forward. Or I I don't want to say faith because, man, she's such an incredible talent. They can't see that. Uh, I mean, that's just absolutely ridiculous. But do you think they would invest in Zelina going into the women's division? Uh, Are they just hoping, have they given up on on Andrade? Which, I mean, that's hard to believe because he's got the ties in, you know, now with Shaw and all that. Uh, do they think he can go on his own? Are they looking to maybe? Are they are they so into Zelina that they believe that she can elevate someone that they see greater potential in than Andrade? I don't know, but it doesn't make a damn bit of sense to me. Not one freaking bit. Um, I unless they're going to turn Andrade babyface, which I also think is a mistake, no matter how you slice it. New Day defeats the well, revival. And, and you're looking at. You're, well, real quick, you're looking at what they've got going on there. I mean, isn't the sympathy now on Vega? I mean, that's the kind of feel I'm getting. I think the, the, the crowd will gravitate more towards her. Yeah, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Just keep them together. Quit screwing with splitting people up and shit. Good God. Just let things simmer a little bit. New Day defeat the Revival in a ladder match to uh, retain the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. This match goes 19 minutes and 3 seconds. Thought it was one of the better matches on the show, but, you know, it's the Revival versus the New Day. Why am I surprised that this was one of the better matches on the show? My only concern is, for the first match on the show, these guys did an awful lot of work and they were working really really hard and i thought Big E was legitimately hurt at least three times throughout this match well really giving away a lot so early i thought maybe they were given a little bit too much time uh pushing 20 minutes inside this opener at that point when you're dealing with you know you're you're bringing the ladders and you've got the ladder match aspect giving that much time you're going to need to get a lot in it exposes a lot of what you've got going throughout the rest of the show uh, again, some unnecessary dangerous spots. I guess the biggest thing, and you made this comment over in the in the live discussion thread, is it's incredible. You know, as much as they've downplayed Kofi, especially, but New Day in itself, how over they remain. Yeah, it, it's crazy. It, it, I, I don't understand it. Legitimately, I don't understand it, especially with the way that Kofi has been booked since losing the title. But hey, you know, if you got it. Do something with it. Alistair Black defeats Buddy Murphy. You know, well, the revival was crazy. Something that stood out to me in that match is that how they've been booked and handled, that they were competing for their fourth tag team championship last night. Good God. 
hoping, hoping to gain their fourth rank. They just hot potato those damn belts. They're totally worthless. Alistair Black defeats Buddy Murphy. 13 minutes and 40 seconds. Probably the best match on the show. If you enjoy good, snug, old-fashioned, kick-your-ass wrestling. Uh, I enjoyed the ever-loving hell out of this match. I hope Alistair Black is okay. Uh, I hope that the only issue is that he has a broken nose because if he has a broken jaw, that could be uh, really, really bad news, especially for somebody who's just coming back from injury. Um, Rick, I, I, I like both of these guys, but this was – it was snug. Oh, absolutely. And I, I thought this should have been the opener. Let these guys come out here with more of a classic style, a uh, bit of a hard-hitting action. Uh, you know, it's tough to follow up something like that ladder match. And I thought that, you know, the crowd was out of it here a little bit, but I thought they did a tremendous job going in there showing that, you know, they were putting over during this thing. These two are, they're right there in the running for what people consider to be, you know, the faces for the future of this brand moving forward for WWE. I thought they went out there and delivered, didn't like the match placement. Would have loved to seen them open, but it, yeah, probably all around the best match on the show. Viking Raiders hold an open challenge. Out comes the OC, the only team that's ever beat them since they've been on Monday Night Raw. And this match ends up a double count out. It was much more about Kentucky Fried Chicken and the the stupid thing that they did where they had the table at, at ringside and they had four not fans that they planted there who were incredibly happy to be there. Um, so much so that one of the guys was actually one of the guys who carried out King Fuckface's fucking chariot. I mean, like they're not even trying. Yeah, this, this was... Hey, you know what, with this, uh, I, you know, it's just one of those positives here because this is great product placement. Because you know what I did during this? Got on the old DoorDash app and ordered up some Kentucky Fried Chicken. So I was enjoying the kernel on the back end of the show. Maybe why I enjoyed the back end of the show much more than you, Jargo, because I had, you know, I had the secret recipe. That was a waste of some perfectly fine gravy. I mean, I'm very disappointed in gravy, Carl Anderson. Should start calling him that. Gravy Carl Anderson. King Fuckface defeats Roman Reigns. 22 minutes and 12 seconds of my life that I will never get back. That ended with King Fuckface and Dolph Ziggler and the Revival and the suspended Bobby Roode and his sister Sammy. And like, dude, this thing was just a freaking mess. Roman Reigns has no friends. We talk about Cody Rhodes not having any friends. Roman Reigns ain't got no friends either. No Darby Allen came looking for Roman Reigns. Um, I hated this. Like this, like 22 minutes and 12 seconds. This should have been the fucking blow off. It's TLC. And we have seen this shit. Absolute shit for months. Can we move it the fuck along? We should have absolutely gotten the hell away from this thing. Going into SmackDown this week, you know, quickly turn that corner, turn the page. It's a new chapter. We should be focused on the Rumble. Don't give me this. It's the holiday season. We're waiting to get to 2020. We should be moving forward full steam. This is the perfect opportunity. You got them in the namesake match. Is that what, what this is marquee? all about? Is this about the Rumble? Is is the Rumble going to come down to King Fuckface and Roman Reigns, and that's how we get Roman Reigns cheered at the end of the night as he finally eliminates King Fuckface? Because that shit ain't going to work. Absolutely not. I mean, they're 
again, you know, what we had everything thrown at him here. I mean, are we, is that what we're going to do? Alex, everyone seemingly on the SmackDown roster going after Roman. How's he going to survive the Royal Rumble? I mean, is that the story they're going to tell? And if it is, absolute bullshit. Uh, fans are immediately going to see through this thing. Turn on it once again. You're you're not positioning the big dog in the right direction. You're not giving him a positive spotlight here to shine. And, and you've done so well since the return, you know, since WrestleMania season and all that, and kind of hiding him away here. But now you're at the reemergence into that main program. Absolute trash here. How, how has he not been in the main program? He's been in the main event of basically every episode of SmackDown on Fox. The I, I entire get, show that. revolves around that. Roman Reigns. He's clearly still the number one baby face in the company. Just because he doesn't have a title, he's still the most important thing. Yes. No, because, no, they have been masking that quite well. Yes, there is no doubt he never was, wasn't in that position. But they have masked it well, where it doesn't seem like he is being forced. You know, it's not... Over and over, yes, he's getting, he's opening up those 40-minute segments and all that that are just absolutely asinine, but he's still not that focal, that single focal point for the whole universe. He's not the sun anymore. You know, there, there are other contributing parts to this thing, and that's where they have masked that at, but now we're starting to see that reemergence. If the plan is Roman Reigns eliminates King Fuckface to win the Royal Rumble, oh my God, that's must-see television. Because I want to see how that's going to play out. It might end up with uh, shit being thrown in the ring. With, with that crowd, mm, that's a bad, bad, bad idea. Bray Wyatt defeats The Miz. Um, can we just admit that this was a bad idea, too? Yeah. What's up with this, this continual use of this stupid fucking hammer? Can we just admit that Bray Wyatt sucks? Like, I know everybody likes The Fiend, but can we just admit that this entire thing sucks? Like... Let's look back at all of Bray Wyatt's main event matches since this whole Fiend thing started. Outside of the match with Daniel Bryan, tell me one of them that was watchable. This entire thing sucks. This is exactly what we were all afraid of. This character does not translate into a pro wrestling context. It's way too deep for Vince McMahon and the fucking booking team's fragile little minds to actually fucking grab a hold of and understand what in the fuck this character is supposed to be. It sucks. Yeah, it's cool. The whole get up, the lights, the music. Yeah, it's cool. And then the match starts. And it all sucks. Finn Balor, incredibly damaged. He had to go all the way back to fucking NXT and turn heel to get out of this thing. Seth Rollins, should we talk about how great that program was for the defending Universal Champion? Like, this whole Bray Wyatt thing is a swing and a miss. I mean, last night, Bray Wyatt breaks into the fucking Miz's house, threatens his infant daughter... And the fucking crowd is chanting yowie wowie at him. Like, this is a miserable fucking failure. And the fact that I'm the only one that sees it just blows my goddamn mind. You know, a lot of this comes down to is it's been so rushed that they felt the need to hot shot this thing, that they had to move it so far, so, so much forward. And even in. If we're going to look at it as this, let's look at the, the main comparison that we've seen, that this had the potential to be uh, an Undertaker-esque sort of persona, or they you know, they could ha potentially have that success on their hands. Really look at the Undertaker. Obviously, you had the involvement on the, the Tuesday in Texas 
which was which was mainly nothing about the Undertaker. It was about just getting the scary behemoth of a figure out there so that we can get the title vacated. We can get it opened up for the Rumble to make that switch from Hogan to Flair without somebody, you know, those two getting in there and and one of them being embarrassed by the other one or whatever. Outside of that, how long did it take for people to really get serious behind the Undertaker where we started talking about the streak or talking about him as a serious competitor? I mean, he was a mid-card novelty for years. Yeah, they didn't hot shot him to the fucking top and put the fucking title on him in what, like three months? Yeah, and it was about establishing who he was, letting them figure out how that style, and obviously, you know, he had worked similar. It wasn't a dead man gimmick, but it was still that big rooting badass, you know, under the mean mark when he was with the skyscrapers and all that. So he could use that same moveset. We're talking about something that's completely reinvented here in terms of Funhouse Bray and the fiend from what, you know, the leader of the family Bray Wyatt was. I mean, this this should have taken some time. Did they run this thing out in test markets at live events to see the like, crowd reaction, to see how they would work inside of matches? Now, I didn't see any of those reports on this thing. It was, all right, we got to go, go, go right now. Because the product is so down, 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 we got to mess everything because these vignettes are so over. This is what people are talking about. And they rushed it. They forced their hand on this thing. And anytime you're doing that within WWE, if this thing could have sat mid-card for a while, people having fun with it, Vince would have stayed the hell away from it. Okay, bring me the notes on this. Maybe he's got some you know, suggestions for things moving forward and all that, but he wouldn't have just gotten his hands all in this dough. Now he's in control. He has no idea what's going on with it. You've taken everything away from Bray, his vision with it. So, I mean, at that point, as a creator, as an artist, when you lose something like that, you lose your enthusiasm. He's probably still going out there and pushing some things here, hoping to save this damn thing. You got to believe that even the same thing, you know, how hard he's sitting there thinking inside WWE, like shit, you know, as a creator, as an artist, Man, I had it all at it, it impact. Bray Wyatt is just... Well, it's nice to make that money. Bray Wyatt is so far advanced in his creative mind from what the WWE is putting out. It just it doesn't work. This entire thing is just blowing up their narrative. It sucks. Like, there's, there's no nice way to say it. Because I know everybody loves this whole Fiend thing. But it sucks. It just doesn't work in a pro wrestling context. And I want it to because it's really cool. Maybe maybe that's the point. They just wanted to they wanted to get to that point where it completely jumps the shark and it sucks so bad that even Roman won't get booed by. And, but he goes and that's it. the Baron Corbin thing. Like, why do we keep having Roman Reigns fight Baron Corbin? Because we know he'll get cheered against Baron Corbin. And there's nobody else on the fucking roster you can say that about. Let's talk you know, about with Lashley. All, with all this, though, this, that match should have closed the night out. Absolutely. If you're going to bring back Daniel Bryan at the end of that match, and you're going to get the yes chant going with Daniel Bryan at the end of the match, that's how you go off the fucking air. I mean, I, I, I don't understand. Like, it's cool that we're putting the women in these main events. Because I, I actually think at least three of those four women belong in main events. Maybe not one that goes 25 fucking minutes and 57 seconds, but they actually belong there. But this just forcing it for the sake of forcing it to say that you did it. it, it it's, ju- it's just hurting the product. There's no reason that you don't go off the air with Daniel Bryan other than petty bullshit. 
Lashley defeats Rusev in 13 minutes and 26 seconds in a table match. Um, I, does anybody really care about this match? It was just about Rusev finally getting his hands on Bobby Lashley, right? But Rick, you know what the solution to the save this entire program is? The Smoke Show, Scarlet Bordeaux. Rusev comes out tonight with Scarlet Bordeaux. It says, Lana, I don't miss you. Why would I miss you? Look at what I got. Have fun with Bobby. Bye. It's, it's, it's too easy. You got to cheese so, No, no, no. Because now, now Lana's pissed. Now Lana's pissed that Rusev has moved the fuck on and upgraded. So we just flipped the whole fucking script. I, I like your direction here. But, but I want to iron this thing out. Like I anything sure. that I would do to get Scarlett Bordeaux on Monday Night Raw. Well, I, I would, you know, I I love your direction. I want to hit the mark on this thing. But first of all, I continue to love this thing. This is such bad reality television. Such a bad ripoff of bad reality television. You know, you know that's my guilty pleasure. I love, love how they brought in the, uh, the TLC TMZ thing. <laughs> I absolutely love that. My biggest problem with this thing, with this match here, this was a tables match. Why wasn't this the KFC spot? I mean, what, what this, what that, how bad that was? Wouldn't that fit perfectly here? Are you going to have Jim Cornette come out and uh, uh, announce an African American's uh, wrestling match with the Kentucky Fried Chicken at ringside? I think the, uh, the the best the best thing on social media I saw during this match, or going back to the KFC match, was uh, could you imagine if the Street Profits had answered that challenge? I mean, the uproar that you would have seen across social media. But to go back to what you're saying here, Jock, I absolutely love the idea. Let's let's turn the tables here. No no pun intended. But, you know, what's the, what's the old school wrestling? I mean, you just got your ass. Man, this ain't wrestling. I mean, hell, it, your wife has left you. You're, you're happy you're divorced. But come on. You, that's only a front in so many ways. It's someone you loved. You, you thought you could have a family with. And then you were embarrassed by her new boyfriend. It's not embarrassed. I mean, this is on. This is in front of the universe. This is on the WWE Network. This is a marquee event. You're put through a table. You got to go out. You got to nurse those wounds. And what do you do? You go hit a local watering hole. Up there in Minnesota, you find some dank-ass dive out there in the cold in the middle of nowhere. You've got an ice-cold one on your back, or, you know, icing yourself down while you're sucking one down. You know, even better than that, because you, you just lost the love of your life, and now you're ultimately embarrassed. You just don't go to a dive bar. You go to a hole-in-the-wall strip club, and that's where you have Scarlet approach him. Yep, because the best way to get over Lana is to get under Scarlet. It's the rules of the road. The Kabuki Warriors defeat Tea Time. 25 minutes and 57 fucking seconds. This match would have been too long if it was half of this amount of time. And third on the show. Uh, you know, I did not like great, this at all. What was great is when this match was getting ready to go. What was great was this when this thing. match was over. No, and there's about 25 minutes you know, left. You know, like in the hour, it's, you know, here in the East Coast, it was 9.35. You're thinking, holy shit, they're going to get us out of here by 10. To me, that would have elevated the pay-per-view in itself just to get us out of something before 10 o'clock would have been incredible for one of these events. Uh, in itself, you're, you're, you're dumping them tea time. I like something that they put over on the commentary. Uh, the man in the queen. And we're talking about bad reality television. That right there should be picked up by E. Uh, it's, you know, the man is actually... Uh, it's all about, you know, 
the trans the trans community here. A man is a female who's made the adjustment to living as a man, and the queen, obviously, the other way around. And how are they going to mesh together? You tell me about all those crazy antics. Now that now that is reality television at its finest. The queen and the man. So it's it's, it's like starring like Caitlyn Jenner and Cher. Uh, sure, something along these lines. Like no, uh, Cher's kid, right? I don't know. Charlotte and Cher, like I can barely tell them apart at this point. Uh, no, but Cher's kid actually born a girl transitioned to a man. So that's absolutely. Oh, so well, we there Jenner, you freaking go. Get Jenner involved here. We've, we've got our cast. There you go. Right, we, we, we've got a show. We just got to make the pitch. Uh, that sounds like uh, it might be a little too low brow for even E. We might have to go to TLC with that. Believe it you know, we, If we can get in, maybe we're going to squeeze it into, uh, my 800 wives and my fat ass 800 pound life. We can do a squeeze and block there with, with our transition show. A lot of people down on this match, but I, I found some positives. I, obviously, I mean, these ladies have to go out there and do so much, too much time left on the table, and you run out of things to do. You're going out there and you're yes. working yourself. Especially on an entire show that's just full of stealing your spots for the fucking main event. What I did take out of this thing as I'm looking at the women's division goes back to the Kabuki Warriors give me great hope that this division itself, this tag division, can be meaningful with them at the helm them leading the way and overall to just give some respect to them is individual performers. Uh, we know the greatness of Oscar. I think she went out there now that now that she's again in a spot like this, she's reminding people of how great she can be. And I think saying uh, she, she went out there and wowed some people. She showed that she can move around. She is a tremendous athlete and she, in many times she looked like she belonged even, you know, just being outsized and concussed. Well, absolutely. And, you know, something in this, you know, everyone, oh, you know, surprisingly, they, you know, a girl that weighs 67 pounds couldn't take a shot like that. When you're repeatedly through this thing and you're asked to go out there and you're using tables, out of chairs, they're bringing in monitors, all of that. You know, I know there's some debate over when did happen, but hell, how many t- shots did they take to the head? How many dangerous even suplexes were, you know, unnecessarily thrown inside this match? You're risking injury to your standout talents. And that's why the match was too long. They could have done half of this match and people would have been completely satisfied with it. Um, of course, they did only do half the match and the other half of the match was setting up all these freaking spots. I mean, there was an awful lot of just standing around waiting for shit to get put together in this thing. Like at one point, Becky and Charlotte just stood in the ring while Asuka and Kyrie were doing something. Oh, Kyrie was trying to throw the fucking chairs into the goddamn ring. And of well, course, yeah. they, they have the itty bitty one trying to throw these fucking chairs into this ring. And Charlotte and Becky just stand there and watch her. And it's like, climb the fucking ladder. Grab the goddamn titles. Let's fucking go home. I can go take a nap before I go to work. I won't have to be awake for 16 fucking hours to talk about this goddamn shit show. But here we are. Don't ask five, four Asian girls to set up a 20 foot ladder by themselves. Yeah. I mean, Jesus or, you know, let alone get one into the ring. And, you know, I, and I did get a, I was kind of, you know, like, okay, what's going on with that rope spot? But I did like how they brought that back into play later in the match. I thought that was pretty creative, how they left it kind of tied up. And Asuka was able to use the rope to pull Becky back down as she's seemingly ascending to, you know, to claim the championship. Uh, I did like that spot. But, again, when you get yourself in, you've got all this time on your hands. You're trying to overbook this thing. You're overthinking everything. You're gimmicking everything too much. And that's what you get. You get this this dead air. Yep. 
Uh, let's shift. Let's talk a little bit about Wednesday night because we got a couple of good shows coming up. Let's go ahead and start with NXT. Adam Cole versus Finn Balor for the NXT Championship, Huckleberry. Please tell me this is not just hot shot booking and a way to bring Johnny Gargano back into the fold because that's the only thing that makes sense is Johnny Gargano comes out and costs Finn Balor this matchup. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm fully expecting it. For them to give this away within a week's time, I mean, we're talking about a major money program here for NXT. We just could be weeks of tremendous build. You and I were both surprised that Balor was the choice here. You know, we thought you'd hold that off uh, until going into the WrestleMania takeover. And that would be that hot run there. Both of us were pretty much in favor of Keith Lee kind of being in this position here. Then you move on to Ciampa and Balor, and then that could play Gargano in. They have chosen to go a different route. I am expecting some sort of shenanigans here. No way we get a clean finish. I'd be absolutely shocked if they they switch the fin at this point. Uh, But you and I did talk about the possibility of, hey, you know, we've allowed Finn to go back there. Why isn't the, he, he's the face of your brand? And, oh, by the way, he's still making that major main roster money. Uh, you better move on him or we're bringing him back for regular touring. Yeah, uh, and I think that's a distinct possibility as well. Um, I, that would not be my main event this Wednesday. Uh, to me, the main event is Shayna Baszler versus Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Championship. Rick, I, I've been trying to think over the last six months – if there is a program inside of NXT that I have been more invested in than Shayna Baszler versus Rhea Ripley, and I got nothing, I cannot wait to see these two women just absolutely throw the fuck down, and then Shayna Baszler's going to choke a bitch out. Because that's what Shayna Baszler does. Everything says Rhea Ripley should win this match, and that's why Shayna Baszler is going to choke a bitch out. Because that's what Shayna Baszler does. Every freaking time. I'm not falling for it this time, Shayna. Well, you know, this goes back to what got you a little heat. You've been putting it out there. When we're talking about women main eventing, stop doing it for the sake of women main eventing. We have to look and realize, you know, the hard cold facts here of what women are true Main eventers, which one are going to draw? This is that case. You betcha. This is these are two women that people are going to tune in for, and they are going up. And we're going to talk about here in a moment a stacked, a stacked dynamite card, top to bottom. You know they've been selling this thing for a while, and for both of these shows, you know we talked about just prior to before we got on the air here. This is a big week for them, and this is pretty much it for the year as you're wrapping things up. Next week you're you're on Christmas Day. Yeah, and they'll probably do an awards show or something, you know. Yeah, I you know, something, yeah, something a little fun or, you know, your highlights of the year mixed mm. in with a few live matches here and all that. Uh, especially, you know, the talent, you know, they, they want to get home. They've they got things to do with their family and all that. So this is it. This is that big statement here for 2019 is we're going to remember in this first stretch, head-to-head AEW, NXT, and this is – with the build, everything that you've got invested in it, this is a true main event. Who are you taking? I'm going to be pulling for Ripley. Going to be pulling for Ripley. But as you said. Every time, man. Every time they get you. Every time. 
AEW, what are they going to counter with? Well, they basically laid out the entire show for us. It's going to be Britt Baker versus Chris Stantlander for the number one contendership. And you may be wondering, how did these two get a number one contendership match? Well, it's because Hikaru Shida did not have a match last week on AEW. Both of these women won, so Hikaru Shida falls to number three. And uh, we're going to have number one versus number two to determine who is going to challenge Riho for the AEW Women's Championship. Rick, I think it's too soon for Chris Statlander, um, but i that's the matchup I'd rather see against Riho other than Britt Baker. Uh, again, you know, I, I'm not... Wouldn't be surprised for some shenanigans. Uh, see if someone experiences a bit of a nightmare yeah. during this match. Yeah, because Kong is advertised, but it just says that Kong will be in action. It doesn't actually give us a match, so it wouldn't surprise me to see the Nightmare Collective here. Uh, Jungle Boy versus Jericho, the 10-minute challenge, finally going down on this week's show, even though I thought it was last week. Uh, Kenny King, or Kenny King, Kenny Omega, <laughs> who's almost as relevant as Kenny King these days inside of AEW. It's a damn shame. Tagging with another guy who's pretty irrelevant inside of AEW and Hangman Page. They really got to get both of these guys over, but it seems like they're going to do it against themselves because they're going to be taking on the Lucha Bros. Last week, Rick, we got to see Hangman and Kenny. They had a little bit of tension. Didn't necessarily seem like they were on the same page. I'm kind of guessing that that's going to explode this week. The Lucha Bros get the win, and we get a program between Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Well, you know, you could tell not that they were, I would say, standoffish against one another, but you could tell things just weren't exactly right. And that all comes down to, you know, Hangman taking that leave of absence from the elite. You know, he wants to step out. He's trying to find his own direction, uh, you know, carve his own path. We're, hell, I mean, someone we were talking about, Becoming the first AEW World's Champion, you talk about falling off here. Kenny kind of been floating around himself. These guys are looking for a direction. You got to believe at some point something's got to give between these two. Lucha Bros are going to go out there do their Lucha Bro things. I, I, I'm not overly excited for this match. I, I think there's going to be a lot going on on it, some yeah. weird spots and all this. But but I know for that target demographic for AEW, they're going to eat this thing up. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Cody and Darby Allen going to team up and take on the butcher and the blade uh last week we saw you know cody needed a friend after qt marshall went and lost the match for him against the butcher and the blade and darby allen would answer the call he comes out and he helps cody up and then he turns around and leaves and he makes a comment on twitter he says cody and i had a time limit draw i never forgot that do you need a partner for a partner for the butcher and the blade i'll join you and if we win, you give me that rematch. So Darby out trying to prove something not only to Cody, but also to himself. I think this is a fine program to just feature on television to kind of get us through a couple of weeks of television. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, you get this transition period for most of these companies here. So, yeah, it's something to get you into the new year. And it's getting Darby out there. And we know how the fans are gravitating towards him. And he's someone that you need to find a spot for. We talked about this, this crowded card. He disappeared after everybody was so big. After you know, was it the uh, the body bag incident and all that, mm-hmm. and, and Jericho taping him up and the, whatever he had with Moxley and all that, and then just disappears. You got to keep him relevant. You got to keep him out there in front of the audience. And your main event of Wednesday night: the Young Bucks take on SCU for the AEW Tag Team Championships of the World. Rick, I'm ready for our first title change in AEW. Nothing against SCU. 
I love them as the first ever AEW World Tag Team Champions. We got to put these titles on the Bucks. We got to make the Bucks relevant. If the Bucks are going to be one of the pillars, if they're going to be one of the cornerstones of AEW, we got to give people a reason to believe that they are. And thus far, they haven't done that at all. I think it's time the Bucks take these titles and remind everybody who the fuck they is. Let me throw this at you then. Is there enough room? You know, what we just talked about now, obviously Cody is a focal point. Uh, they have, you know, they've kind of removed him from that world title picture for the time being. We all know in wrestling that anything can be changed and, you know, revoked at any moment here. Uh, but he's still very much part of that focal. He's in that, that marquee, that spotlight. We, we just talked about Kenny and Hangman kind of being moved to the, the background a little bit here. Uh, the Bucks of Remained, you know, they've, they've been in some high profile matches, uh, not necessarily Lost in, most of them in contention. A big win last week uh, to get that over whatever the LAX, whatever the hell that they're going by now. I think that I think that it seems like they're really just relying on it. Uh, Tito and Ortez or whatever. Yeah. Proud and powerful. <laughs> they, they haven't even been referring to them as that in our graphics. Uh, they've just been going with the names there, but. If you are going to move the Bucks to the forefront and focus on them, do you have to get Cody out of there? Is enough? Is there enough room for the guys running this company to be shining without getting that bad that bad pub? Yes. God damn it, yes. And while we're at it, can we push Kenny Omega? Can we, can we do something with Hangman Page? Like, I understand this whole, oh, we're so humble. We're trying to get everybody over. Yeah, well, you know what? While you're still tied in the live viewership, you're getting your ass kicked. You've lost half of the fucking audience that you had from the debut episode. Maybe we try, I don't know, featuring our stars. Because that's one thing that AEW hasn't figured out how to do yet. They're so busy trying to create new stars that they forgot that they actually have to feature the fucking stars that they already have. Do something. They're one of the best tag teams in the world. Really? Because they lose every big match that I see them in. How long before we start defi- defining them down? Like, how long do the Bucks have to go 50-50 with everybody before it's okay for the IWC to, okay, you guys can push yourselves now. Like, how fucking long is this going to take? Can we just fucking do it already? They're the goddamn young Bucks. They, they don't need, they actually, they don't need the, the tag team titles. I Just disagree. Up, I think they no, absolutely no. need the tag team. Oh, no, 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 no. If, if you want to assure people that they're still the best in the world, you just got to get them a nine foot tall trophy that says so. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter what happens to them. They go, they go through KFC, Popeye's, Chick-fil-A. You know, let's, let's get, let's get them involved here. KFC's already picked off the WWE. We, who wants, who wants AEW baby? Chick-fil-A, Popeye's, Best in the world, the Bucks. We've got you set here. You know, I'm looking at going back through this this highlight or this advertisement, the promo here for AEW this week. Where in the hell is MJF? <sighs> yeah. And, and, and it's always somebody like that every week. Every week. Just where, where's Darby? Well, where, where's Private know, Party? We, where's no, the We were talking about this. I mean, you know. You were saying you, you like having this entire thing laid out for you here. I don't know if I necessarily do. I, I kind of like the confirm with NXT. You know, give me those two big headlines here. But I mean, how do you not have an MJF right now? I mean, he's obviously, man, he, he is the hottest thing 
breaking through on this thing for you, and you don't even have him mentioned. Yep. And by the way, I, ju- I just want to point out that that entire tag team conversation completely irrelevant because we all know the best tag team in the world is the Gorillas' destiny. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the entire HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, and hit up Hameen Media, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Visit our partners over at thegorillaposition.com, where they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Last word on prowrestling.com. Get the latest around the world of professional wrestling. And don't forget ndpw.com for all the latest signings and departures going on inside of the Ring of Departure. Get your family foodie and the very best in Greek olive oil imported directly from the Zordos family farms in Greece with free shipping right now. ZordosOliveOil.com and make sure that your balls are ready to deck the halls. Visit Manscaped.com with our promo code Stevie20. Get 20% off right now. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo RBV. How do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? Well, once again, I'd like to thank everybody for the amazing experience this week in Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling. Uh, another tremendous outing. Great card, great energy, great atmosphere atmosphere there. Uh, and especially a big thanks to Revolution Pro Wrestling for giving me the opportunity to shine and make that debut in the ring announcing position. Thank you very much, very much. Blood coming up later this week. Hashtag HTM Sports. Got a wild day for the NFL. How about them Falcons? Big day, right? Oh, yeah. You talk about a wild finish. Uh, the, but the, the San Francisco screw job, <laughs> potentially. Uh, and then I, I think, you know, continuing on, we've got more breaking news in this net, this latest Patriot scandal. To my knowledge, you and I are the only ones defending outside of the New England Saints. The only ones defending the Patriots here. So I guess we're going to have to step up our game, step to the plate, let everybody know what they're missing inside this situation. The bowl games are getting ready to kick off. You can also go on over to ESPN Fantasy Sports for the bowl pick them. It's hashtag HTM Sports Go Bowling, or you can just go over on Facebook to the HTM Hitting the Marks page, and you can get the link there. Make sure you sign up by Friday. The games get going. But you can keep up with me, Rick Baker, across all social media at The Real RBD. Wednesday for HTM Sports, later on this week for another edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Enable me. Don't give up. You bad guy! Across that line, I'll never.
that guy. Bitch and I lied. She was at home with me last night. I'll be your bag on. 